Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kansas Now podcast. My name is Isaac Butterfield, joined always as the, with the great Bluey Nielsen. Hello. Hey, bro. And uh, Tony Jones. It's Tony Butterfield. How you doing, big fella? Hi, Jackie. Hello. Hello. Hey, hey mate. Now, um, I will remind you once to speak into your microphone, please. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're having issues. This is my uh, my lovely father, ladies and gentlemen, and he's the only person to ever walk into this studio and not give a shit that it looks great and it's beautiful. He just complained about the microphone. So, oh, no, I complain about the suit, mate. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a 200-year-old French chair, yeah, mate. Yeah, well, the Frenchmen were well, five foot in those days. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> It's a nice, heavy chair. It survived 200 years. And I just want you just to enjoy it. Think I about do, the I history do. and the, the amount of people that may – who knows who has sat in that, maybe. But if I, if I um, enjoy it, I won't be able to be heard. You, you can pull it close. You can pull the mic close to you. You can pull yeah. the chair in. You got, oh, jeez, watch the table. This is handmade. <laughs> Fuck. It's gone through 200 years. It's not going to last five Right, no, let's go. Well, you, you, you know Jones. You've met him before. I've had the pleasure multiple times. Multiple times. Yeah, multiple times. Throughout rugby league, local footy. You were a bit concerned about talking too much footy on the show today. Well, I'm not sure what your audience is interested in. It's um, Footy has an interest for me but in the history, but um can get quite boring if you're... Uh, if you're not indulging in that. Uh, no, no. Although, you know, there are many parallels, of course, across all sorts of sports that mm. um, we could probably have a chat about. But, um, you know, preparation, mindset, goal setting. A lot of it carries biology, on. Biology, physiology, those well, sorts we, of things. We do often run into an issue whenever we talk footy is we just go, we just go, we dive straight in and then we dive deep on it, don't we, Blue? We just go into it too much and we yeah, we do lose away. we do lose people. Your old man brought a notepad. He said, just in case you blokes go off on any tangents, right, to, I bring, said, to reel us back in. I said, there's every chance. It happens every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's <laughs> a lot of good There's a lot of good tangents, but to give you a bit of an idea. Um, How long have you blokes known each other for? Well, uh, <laughs> now, uh, coming up on 30 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, but no, Jones is uh, very well versed in most. Um, how long you blokes know each other for? Well, <laughs> you you playing the podcast through your phone? No, it came through the headphones. It came through the headphones. Thanks, Gabe. <laughs> Good to see you, Gabe. Killing it once again, <laughs> Jones. You're very well versed in a lot of things. Um, we'll be talking about. We'll talk about the other day on the podcast about um, in the in the NRL in the Australian Rugby League, and obviously the New Zealanders are involved in that as well. About uh, minimum wage, and mm. and and something that you brought in. Uh, through the RLPA, am I right in saying that? Yeah, well, number one, I'm not versed in many things. You are versed in a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've known you for, as Bluey said, quite a while. You are overestimating. You are very, you can talk about anything and talk in depth about a lot of things. Whether, much it, to the whether, dismay it, be of factual, whether it be factual, a bit like yourself. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> not, we're not at all, give a fuck about facts here, no, mate. That's no, not, just talk. Yeah. Facts are not the issue here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, well, in, in, in relation to the uh, for those um, uninitiated out there, uh, the, the Players Association, which is effectively the union, which is, was something that I set up when I retired from professional sport um, twenty three years ago. Um, uh, different iterations, and and the most recent one is doing a deal 
for a payout play compared to uh, when I was doing it, which was closer to $100 million, uh, is now closer to $1.37 billion. Mm. So there's a lot of money there. Um, uh, the the media is, of course, uh, making claims that the players are greedy and trying to uh, maintain a focus on that. Uh, the RLPA, as I once did, trying to main, uh, maintain the focus not so much on on a grab for cash, but on the um, the social sort of um, settings that that Clint uh, Newton, who's in charge at the moment, could um, impose. That is looking after injured players. Uh, doing further research in the concussion, um, uh, education and welfare, uh, making sure kids who are basically drafted into rugby league or in, indoctrinated into rugby league as 14, 15-year-olds and everyone blows smoke up their ass from that time on and uh, and they don't really have a mind to learn about anything else becomes quite one-dimensional, which leaves them quite dysfunctional afterwards. So those sorts of education pieces... Um, are, are very important. So that that whole swathe of sort of social improvements within the professional game are, um, are incredibly important to the individuals. I think uh, they've done a fairly good job, like Clint Newton and the RLPA, of making that known because, like you said, like the media has done such a beat up of just saying it's like a cash grab for the players; they just want more money. Realistically, that's not it at all. And I think no. that Clint Newton and the guys did a really like a really sort of well targeted and well coordinated like social media. Um, thing they all posted those like turquoise tiles, all the players like at once, and and mm. sort of everyone had that information out there, which was a really good way to sort of combat what the big media companies were doing. Because without that, you probably would have just thought it was a cash grab for the players. When yeah. obviously it's about a lot more than that. And a lot of these guys are quite terrified of copying it in the media because they see it on the front page, and this is sort of the the realm they're in. And a lot of these young guys, they you know, if you're talking. If you're, if you're reading in the paper that you're doing this wrong or you're doing that wrong or you're being greedy, then you start to believe it. But if you can have a, like a united front come out and actually say, no, no, this is what we want, bugger you guys. And I know you sort of dealt with that in, was it 2003 or 2004 with um, the Dally M's. Uh, a united front came out and actually um, decided that we are so serious about what we're fighting for here, and this goes across any sport or even any industry. Any union. We're, we're so united on this front that we're willing to forego all the things that we're used to, be it the Daly M's, be it round one or whatever it was that these players were talking about, hey, we'll just not even turn up, mm. um, that they are willing to go and do that. And to have a united front, to have people there backing you up, you know, this is something that's actually quite new. Usually it's just yeah. every man for himself. Well, it's, it, it's, it's not really new. There were periods in the 30s and 40s you go to the US, there was literally compulsory unionism uh, after the, the stock market crash and Roosevelt tried to rebuild everything and they built ro- roads and bridges and levee banks and there was a huge infrastructure build across the US and everybody was encouraged to be in trade unions. Now, that, that lifted the country and the rest of the world out of sort of the doldrums, but uh, from that point where there was probably 90% unionism amongst the, the, the working class, you know, here in Australia, uh, unless you're talking about the United Mine Workers, mm. uh, who are a high-density group or a construction or a construction union. Maritime. Maritime, really strong. Uh, other than that, mate, most people out there are battling on their fucking own. Mm. Like this is... Um, and and the, the whole concept of unionism has been tarnished in such a way that... Um, and, and and also not educated about, you know, union unions are one half of the 
labour capital equation uh, and it's been going on for, for centuries and yet you don't hear anything about this in school. No. You don't hear anything about diet. You don't hear anything about... Um, money. Uh, money, you know, all of the uh, important things, goal setting, um, uh, you know, and, and so, so you, people know nothing about unions. They eschew unions as sort of some radical left group and they cause all these problems. Now, all these problems are often sort of manifested through the media and that's, that's how we educate ourselves these days, sadly. Um, no one wants to pick up a book and look deeply into the history. They want to have a quick look and, right, that's, that's my appreciation of the world. And, but as we found, certainly through COVID, if you look at COVID, um, those who were in trade unions did far, far better and the players are a classic example of that. They stuck together. Um, you know, the, the league was crying poor and all the rest of it, although the money was still rolling in mm. and, and the players were looked after. That was only because they were set up as a union. Now that, um, but there are millions of Australians out there working. There are millions of people around the world who have no unions and are scared off by the stigma attached to unions and, um, uh, and that stigma is maintained through the media and... Um, uh, that media is supported by the big corporations. That's their business model. That's how they sell advertising. If you start, um, you know, encouraging people to join unions, well, you won't see McDonald's or the big banks or uh, the big oil companies or technology wanting to sponsor with you anymore. So it's it's it, you know it's been been crushed to the point. You know, don't get me wrong. There have been some scallywags in in unions uh, who have really uh, set the movement back a long way, but um, you know, equally so, there were scallywags in in big business uh, who have uh, you know, only got to go back to the uh, banking uh, royal commission of two or three years ago. They discovered millions and millions of uh, breaches of, of Australian law, um, fraud, charging. Uh, dead people, mm. you know, for, for years after after they died of, for life insurance, not one person went to jail. <coughs> so for fraud and these sorts of things, um, you know, tens of billions of dollars. And in fact, the banks were fined billions of dollars. Didn't hurt them. That's a drop in the ocean, isn't it? It's, it's a drop in the ocean. Um, yet uh, a little kid, um, you know, gets caught with a bit of drugs in his pocket or whatever. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's looking at a jail term. But um, but but in the in financial crimes, um, you know it's it's not the case now. People might might say, well, you know, that's because it's just financial. It's not not hurting anybody. Well, it does hurt everybody. You know, families. If you if you happen to be in that situation and you've got three or four kids and a mortgage you can't jump over and and you've got debts rolling in and uh, creating enormous amounts of stress in the home, and somebody pulls a swifty at the corporate level and you lose your job. Um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, y your kids are now exposed. The, the the mental anguish that goes on through the family these are these are generational issues. We've seen that in you know the issues with the, with the indigenous um, community. They've just been you know intergenerationally excluded from a, a lot of what's going on. Uh, they mm -hmm. don't they don't get the the support that they need. Um, you know, there's always talk every election that um, you know they're going to do this and that and literally just dog whistling you know to try and get some of the nice people out there thinking oh they're a lovely government we'll, we'll vote them in uh, but i can't see the government's changing labor liberal 
they're all the same. Basically, as one follows the other, one is already doing deals, free trade deals around the world and with the US or whatever. So Albanese moves in in Australia here, tosses out that goose Morrison, uh, who was corruptly organising all sorts of rorts going on. And um, Albanese maybe had high high ideals. He walks into the lodge and um, or into Parliament House and says, right, I'm going to do X, Y and Z. And the bureaucrats come along and say, oh, no, 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 we've got all these deals in play now. And if you were to breach those deals, uh, as you're suggesting, well, we'll, we'll find ourselves in The Hague and in some sort of mad corporate court and get fined, you know, billions and billions of dollars. It's, it's exactly what happened with the plain packaging on the, with the cigarettes. This is all through the free trade deals, the so-called free trade deals, which are uh, effectively the deals are investor rights arrangements. And so there was a deal done at some point that Australia wouldn't put plain packaging because that would impact the uh, the marketing and the, the income of, of uh, British American tobacco and the like. And um, out of the blue, uh, yeah, they're, they're called to court um, after going to the plain packaging space. And um, uh, it hasn't been revealed, but rumours are that many billions of dollars that the Australian government or the, or the taxpayers now have been paid. So it just makes my point that each time a government moves in, well-intentioned, mm. There are all these other plans that are in play. They're all commercial deals, and you can't just stop those deals. Well, it makes you wonder how much you know power someone coming into that role has. Even in America with Trump, you know, he had all these uh, all these grand ideas, and then all of a sudden he was just another politician. And even Barack Obama, when he came into play, we're talking about protecting whistleblowers. It was on his website. It was everywhere. This was one of his big plays. It's like we're gonna, you know, we want whistleblowers to come out and and talk talk, talk to us about crimes that are being committed. And then it was erased. Like he he walked back on it to the point where he erased it from his website or any trace of it gone well, because he, he realised yeah. that you couldn't, you can't do it. You can't play by your rules or what you've promised to to walk in with. Yeah. All he, well, yeah, he's got in the US. It's it's much more out in the open here in Australia. You know, apparently we've got you know contribution laws. You can't you know give a government uh, or an election campaign too much money. And the, the US is just open slather. You know, they've got yeah, to, to run a campaign. It's you know a couple of billion. Yeah, if you want to stay in power, and those politicians that get up to that level are comfortably bought and paid for well before they get to that point. They have to come up through their local primaries and and through their state uh, electorates and, and the like. And by that point, they've got uh, big business in, in their pocket, driving, you know, paying for their staff, paying for their campaigns, paying for, you know, um, trips to yeah. various What's holiday. old love's name? Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. She's, a speak, she's the Speaker of the House. What's she, she worth, Gabe? She's, she's worth more than Warren Buffett and... Insider trading. I don't know if she'd be worth more than Warren Buffett. I think she. I think she's. What better, was her last she's name? Better at Nancy, Nancy Pelosi. She's the speaker of the house in the states, and her husband, because she gets all the tips. They get tipped off. Yeah, about, yeah. And they and her husband pumps all the money in and buys the stocks, and just between, before they sign off on, it's crazy. In, he's, her husband in between being yeah getting sucked off by homeless dudes and fuck. Did you see? <laughs> did you see that video of her husband? <laughs> so the police and Gabe, you can probably pull this up too. Nancy Pelosi's husband. Okay. So he was assaulted in his home by a dude he was handcuffed to with a hammer. With a hammer, 
And then the police video, and everyone's like, oh, this is this is weird. And, and also the right-wing media's coming out going, oh, this is dodgy as, and the left-wing media's going, no, 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 he was someone stormed his home. But they came out with the police video, and the police video, if Gabe was doing his job, would be ready to go. <laughs> no, he's, he's got too much to do. Too much to do. We've got the policing. police video is the police walk up and say, mate, what's going on? And they go, mate, can, to the guy, the other guy, can you drop the hammer? And he's like, nah. He just <laughs> goes, nah, not doing it. And then just beats old mate over their head. And he's it. in his undies too. And he's in his undies. Yeah. But yeah, Pelosi, a lot of money. She's yeah. got a lot of money for a lady that only, oh, watch out. Uh, video create, uh, contains graphic images. Video shows struggle for hammer. So there's old mate. Jesus. How, oh, Gabe, for fuck. I don't know what does that. So here's. Um, nah, this isn't the one I saw. Is this it? That was the first thing I could find. Keep going through it. Scroll through it. It's like body cam footage. It's body cam footage of the police. So keep going along. Keep going. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, this. This. Yeah. So he's, <laughs> he's like, the coppers are going, can you put that down? Can you put that hammer down? This is Pelosi's husband. And he goes, nah, not putting it down. And he just, oh. <laughs> that's not funny. Full on. But yeah, I don't know what Pelosi's worth. Have a look at that guy because that's that's. Yeah, well, I think the point you're making is that they're, they're all somewhat corrupt. This that's is what we're talking about tangents. So her net worth is, what is we're $135 saying. million. And what would she get paid? Her, her salary is probably like 300 grand or something. Well, let's. I'll, I'll Google it, Gabe, because you'll be all fucking day. Um, Pelosi. I think salary. you've job, mate. Uh, she's getting paid. She earns $223,000 a year from yeah. the Speaker of the House and she's worth $123 million. From good investments. Yeah. <laughs> really, really good investments. Really good investments. Yeah. But, yeah, they're all, they're all shonks. Uh, yeah, and we saw Morrison. Morrison, he didn't care. He just went headlong into the needs of big corporations and he didn't care because he knows that post his demise, he'll get looked after. You think of... Um, well, that's they just get jobs as, like you say, consultancy jobs or, or speaking jobs for well, big the, private firms. The Premier walked into Telstra, wasn't it? Or Optus? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Mike Baird. Was it Mike Baird after him? Yeah, Mike yeah, Baird yeah, yeah. walked into... Was he, yeah. isn't, he was into something. And then um, Old Love, what's the name? The fucking... Veragiclian uh, walked yeah. straight into... Uh, Optus or yeah. Telstra. They just go into private, like private CEO jobs, consultancy no jobs. There, well, there, there was a, a big oil company, one of the biggest oil companies in the world, and it um, and it was trying to get the gas and oil reserves out of East Timor, which is why Australia went into East Timor. Um, you know, they, there was all this sort of front about um, you know, protecting these people who looked after us in World War Two and stopped the, the Japanese southward advance. Um, to the mainland of Australia. But um, uh, eventually they established their independence and then there was a negotiation. And the negotiation was with, you know, the big oil companies and whatnot and there were literally trillions of dollars of reserves just off their coast and so the, one of the poorest nations on the world had, you know, finally lucked out. This is great. Okay, everybody's knocking on our door. Alexander Downer, a former foreign minister um, in John Howard's government, um, he then decides to use ASIO or might be CIA or whatever. They bug the negotiations, so the private negotiations of the East Timorese crew, there's all bugs in there. So they then know what the position is. Now, the end result, and I, don't, don't quote me on the figures, but it was essentially sort of 60-40 that the, that the big oil companies in Australia got 60% of the action and the Timorese got sort of, 40, 35%. 
it was a shit deal. Um, but everything was recorded and spied and spied on, and they knew exactly what their strategy was, and they and they they achieved that outcome. A whistleblower, back to the whistleblowers, comes out and says, "No, this was this was filmed at at the instruction of this former minister uh, in the Australian Parliament," and um, they then do their own research, take it to the World Court. The World Court finds in favour of East Timor and says the Australians were in the wrong and whatever yank interests and whatnot. And obviously, what Australia was doing was you know, to, to to support the, the yank alliance, and um, they they required them to go back and redo the entire deal. Um, and the East Timorese have now ended up with a deal of something like 80% of the action, and these foreign sort of invaders have have just picked up a few crumbs. So, um, but for the whistleblower, um, these poor East Timorese would remain that way, and 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 big uh, US interests, Australian interests would still be in charge, and it was all done by this wanker downer. Mm. Um, and uh, he then goes off. 18 months later. Now, he's now working for the oil company. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's how do you... I, I just don't... And, and this is the, the importance, obviously, of whistleblowers, be it Assange, be it Snowden, mm-hmm. be it uh, whoever blew the whistle on that. If you don't hear about it, then no one gets in strife over it, even though, in this case, no one got in strife over it. Well, it just happens. But at least it's in the public... Uh, it's in their sort of... It's in the knowledge, right? It's it, People know about it. At the very least, and and without without these people willing to sacrifice their own anonymity and their own uh, lives in, in many cases, we just never hear about these things. And the, and then the the governments and and the big corporations and the ones with all the power and the cash, they run their own race like they have done for centuries. And we are none the wiser. We're just the public who just sort of sits here and just cops it. What yeah. um, at the risk of getting the blue label COVID misinformation? Oh, we've already got the blue label. We're, we got that on for this spo- episode. On Spotify, if you say the word COVID or anything about vaccines, you get a little label down the bottom that Just says for you know for proper COVID information, please visit the CDC. Right. So go don't, and check it. don't get me started on it. No, well, no, no. Go- that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> I'm kind of gonna, but like talking about that wanker Morrison. And no ramifications. Whatever happened, you know how it came out, again, probably from a whistleblower, that he signed over all the portfolios secretly through COVID? He yeah. signed himself over to, like... To, every, run, to run all the shows. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah. what... Like, was there any outcome from that? <laughs> like, did anything happen from No, that? there was... Basically, uh, there was some on his side. This, this is a prime, sitting Prime Minister yeah. in, in an emergency, and he thought, with all of his great skills, you know, in marketing... <laughs> Scotty from marketing <laughs> that that he as the prime minister should take on all the portfolios um, across health and finance and you know, yeah, everything investment you name it. Now that may have been fine if he had to sat down with his with his um, gang and said this is what I'm doing, but nobody knew. Yeah, in fact, his his ministers who you know th- these are fairly serious appointments and um, very formalised. Uh, none of his ministers even knew. You know, and, and, and therefore the people of Australia didn't know and they basically wiped it. You know, mm. They've gotten rid of a, of a toxic um, prime minister, you know, which, which I found quite amazing. You know, at the time, the, the three um, or four main countries in the world that sort of out of the sort of um, the Anglo-Saxon sort of history, the UK, um, US, uh, Canada and Australia, 
all the leaders at one particular time were all fucking gooses. Mm-hmm. You know, you had Trump. You know, he, 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 he spruced a bit of sense at times, but, but he was... And he grabbed him on the pussy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we had Morrison. They had Boris over there. And fucking blackface. And Trudeau. Brownface, mate. <laughs> Brownface. And, and Trudeau. Now, what are the odds of having... <laughs> you know, four of the greats. Four, four buffoons all at the same time yeah. who are basically... You look at them and their intellect isn't sufficient to have them in the position, clearly, of a responsibility. Um, but they all made it. And, and they, they were all able... And they were all good marketers. All good yeah. marketers, all good orators... And, um, you know, I, got, I just found it quite uh, amazing. Great that, timing. That, uh, and how, and the the timing worked. Into, into a pandemic and then everyone... <laughs> this is blackface Trudeau. This is, yeah. So this <laughs> I is, haven't actually seen these. This yeah. is brownface. So he actually dressed up as a, as a Saudi Arabian, uh, I guess a prince or, oh, a, that's okay. or a dude. Um, and it emerged and, and, you know what, he apologised and he meant it. So it's all good. It's all forgotten. Play on. He is the... Uh, he is, the leader of the um, the uh, politically correct governments. Like, like, have a look at him. Okay, he, he might be clever. But if you've heard him talk, even when he's serious, like you can tell it's all orchestrated. Yeah, he's, he's just reading a script. He's a fucking kid. He's a, he's a, um, a puppet. Yeah. And, and exactly what Trump was, the buffoon Boris, and, of course, uh, Morrison. So how do we, you know, and, and, and here we are trying to, uh, defend in most rhetoric in the papers and whatnot, you know, this, this great democratic sort of society with the, that we live in. Um, but where is the democracy? You know, mm. uh, other than going to the polls every three or four years, no one's listening to us, you know, um, unless you can wedge and get enough people together. That's why going back to trade unions at the local level, if you've got 400 workers and 380 of them are all on the one team, well, the boss has got a problem. Mm. Now, one of the boss, boss wants to kill off anybody who gets cheeky about unions, and that's why um, you know, guys get sacked, you know, for various other reasons other than the fact that they were organising um, a pushback for a, a better deal, mm. you know. And, and in circumstances where in the US certainly, you know, real wages have gone backwards uh, over the last 40 years, um, People are working twos and threes and four jobs. You know, wages just haven't gone up uh, with that inflation. That seems to be where we're going here. Because that's exactly where how we're going. How do you pay if you've got a mortgage and everyone? And I'm glad I didn't bite off more than I could chew, than I could chew with my mortgage. So that was Claire said to me. Said, she was like, "No, nah, don't go any higher than this amount." And mm. I was like, "Because I wanted to go higher," um, because where we were looking at buying was just like it's you, what it you, costs. It's just what it costs. Like what around where you live, like it's just you know yeah. you're looking at a million dollars, like minimum Easy. for a fifty year old house that needs two three hundred k work just mm. to make it look you, you know brand new three hundred and fifty square meters yeah, oh, yeah on nothing and you have to park on the road like a lunatic, um, <laughs> and and we're lucky we, we ended up going where we were but people are looking at you know f- easy paying four thousand dollars a month. Oh, with the, pay, with, the, with the rates going up. With their rates going up, they're coming off fixed in, in interest loans uh, and, and they were sitting at a real you know, decent percentage and now they're going through the roof uh, overnight without a pay increase. They're sitting there going, well, shit, what do we do? Do we get a second job? Do we just pay, you know, just interest? We, we forget about the principal for now until 
uh, rates drop back down and, and we just have to pay interest, but we never move forward anywhere. Mm. So, you know, you've got this whole generation of young people who have gone balls deep into buying a house and they're not going to have that as an asset to ever sell and look after themselves later on not in retirement. Not to mention house prices are going down because the rates are going up. Rates are going up, house prices are going down, no movement on uh, people's wages, the, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the cost of groceries is outrageous. And well, in the last 40 years, productivity has skyrocketed. Right? Productivity has gone through the roof. That is, they're more efficient, we produce more making greater profits. Those profits uh, and the result of that productivity has all been drawn upwards. Now, this is a business model in a, in a capitalist model. And, and so um, you've noticed all the incredibly wealthy people just getting wealthier. Mm. Um, and you know, uh, was it Midnight? <laughs> Doing good, thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Midnight Oil, Peter Garrett, in, in his song, The Rich Get Richer and the Poor Get the Picture. You know, and that's that's literally what's going on at the moment. If if you think of the interest rates, uh, and and interest rates is a very important metric, sort of to uh, sort of drive investment and, and whatnot, uh, and also plan for the future. Um, our reserve bank, which is a sort of a private, the only connection it has is to the British Crown and 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 um, and those old arrangements. But the uh, the Reserve Bank came out and said, no, no, we won't be interest rates they kept it deliberately low for a long time because people were saving and people were in, weren't investing and and um uh interest rates really low that sucks everybody in mm. everybody's now in all oh, the interest rates are low once they've got everybody on board right oh, well now jack them up now they're jacking them up jacking them up why like that that's the question the, the, the reserve bank of australia and of uh, central banks all around the world they've got blunt instruments to use on this and, and so to slow down the overheating uh, property market, which is not getting overheated by you or I buying you know, a small little block out in the burbs, it's getting overheated by the huge hedge, hedge funds mm. that are just buying thousands of properties. Yeah, and, and, and we're seeing this in the US, Black, uh, Black, Black Rock. Black Rock. Uh, just Black Rock. Yeah. <laughs> Black Rock, I think. You can, you can buy a lot of things with Black Rock. <laughs> <laughs> They're, um, I didn't see colour though, so don't worry. In, in, in the US, it, it's, it's a major thing now. And, and you're seeing it with a lot of guys, you know. People who've made money, they're just buying property because they know that the property um, supply is just not going up. Like in, 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 in economics, you know, it's all about creating a, um, uh, a, a shortage. Supply and uh, demand. Supply and demand. There's, there's no point having a shitload of houses. That'll bring the prices down. So if everybody wants to make money on property, then you've got to reduce that. Um, now, this, we've also got this strong um, uh, immigration policy, which on the face of it sounds great. You know, we've brought some great people to, this, to our shores over the years and after World War One and World War Two, particularly with the Italians and, the, and the, the Eastern Europeans and whatnot, and they've really sort of added to the country after, after the, the Vietnam invasion. The um, you know a lot of Vietnamese came out here and all and and, and you know, done amazing things. Just keep that mic up to you. We just now need, um, in 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 order to to keep that pressure on the supply of, of property of accommodation, you you need to bring in all of these overseas people. So we've gone back to our immigration space and said, well, let's bring in another two or three hundred thousand. Now those two or, two or three hundred thousand, they need somewhere to live. 
So those who who own rental properties and whatnot, all of a sudden they're charging a hundred bucks more a week or one hundred and fifty bucks more a week because you've got um, they're driving up that that lack of supply uh, in a sense through a policy setting. So the, the government can do better things. I don't think that they um, they have a particular sort of interest in it, and I and, and I don't see the media calling them out. So. Legacy media used to be really strong. In fact, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, which was owned by Fairfax, and, 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 and their moniker on the top of their paper, and still is, is independent always. Now, they were, they were sort of those guys where you had Murdoch over here who owned 60% of all the, the media, and he would put out all the right-wing uh, right shit. Uh, but the Sydney Morning Herald would be balanced, and they would do you know long exposés and magazines, and, um, and people would find out what, what on, but they've since been taken over by um, Nine Entertainment, and uh, they're certainly not um, independent. Uh, they've got a few hawks running the show, and basically, there is no independent news out there, other other than what you might hear on the Isaac show hey. uh, or here. Yes, um, very not, independent. Not well, like, there's or, only one or two brains getting around with that. Or might I say, um, uh, friendly Geordies. Yeah, who, who put out a couple after the fire bombing there uh, last year, and he's um, you know he's he's balls out, yeah. old, old um, Geordie, and yeah, he um, and, and and he's releasing a whistleblowing on a number of major issues, particularly yes. around the military, military and, yeah. and how they operated in Afghanistan after trying to kick the shit out of. Uh, this bloke, a McBride, who was in, an intelligence officer, and he's getting dragged through the courts for years because he whistled blew on on a couple of major um, war crimes. And um, basically he's getting his head kicked in so that anybody else cheeky enough to think that they might whistle blow at some point in the future will know that, that um, there's a whole can of whoop-ass mm. being, being opened up. Um, so the reason they really attacked this this guy in this case, uh, this McBride, was simply okay. They, they wanted to damage him and, and damage the story and, and kill that story now. But they also want to send a message to any other cheeky bastard who wants to to, to whistleblow. And and I remember when the whistleblowing sort of legislation came in, and everybody said, "Oh, this is great! You know, like people can now be honest." And you know, if, if the Australian government's doing something in our name and and, and they're committing crimes that um, you know, crimes and things like that which of course they did um you know it, we'll have it out exposed in the open uh, that's not happening certainly in the mainstream press but it takes this generation your generation who are a little bit cheekier and probably not fully aware of the the downside of uh, of um uh, of whistleblowing on these sorts of issues and um Friendly Geordies, I think, is doing a, a particularly strong job. There, there are a number of good journalists uh, who are on the web who are, who are doing great exposés, but you're just not getting anything from the legacy media. I don't know why anybody watches news at all except for I, the weather. I, I don't know why people do it. I don't, no one really. I watch A Current Affair because it's, it's on funny. <laughs> it is the funniest show. Like you just watch all these people That's not news, screaming though. at each other. No, it's not news. But if you watch the news, and this was so you know, vivid for me when during COVID, when I would be watching Twitter and looking at this and, and reading uh, actual reports from 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 the day and then I'd watch the news and they completely changed it. It was the same when Trump was in power or through the election. Trump would say something and then they'd spin it in their own way. And I was like, this is just... 
That's what I've said a couple of times in videos and stuff. Like one of the great things about the pandemic and these years was that people trust legacy media less. Way less. And government less, yeah. which I think is fantastic. Mm. But on, on with Geordies, like he – and Jordan has, has had a horrific two years. Oh, boy. Worked his ass off and he's got a great team around him. But without the funding of people, without the public funding, like go through GoFundMe and all that type of stuff for his legal campaign and for uh, his law firm to look after him, mate, he, he would have been like one of these whistleblowers that was just dragged through the courts. He, he would have had... Like, and silenced. And silenced. Like, you know, Barilaro tried to take him for everything he's worth and, and Jordan somehow come out of it unscathed, yeah. relatively. And now all this stuff with the firebombing and who knows where that's come from, I don't want to, you know, pe- speculate on that because I like my house. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just don't want to get involved with that. I'd rather make vegan videos, but yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's where we differ. Um, yeah, he, he, him, you know, Michael West, these type of people, they're the only ones... Harvey Emini. Even Arvey, yeah. yeah. And that's what – it, it does my head in about Arvey is people, they see him as right-wing so they don't listen to him at all. Yeah. But he has some great videos. He's really good. He's great. And he's like – But so is Jordan. And yeah. they're complete – and they don't even like each other. Yeah. They're completely, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. They're brave is what I like. They're like, they don't – they're not scared. Well, he, he put this video out, Arvey, during the week about uh, what's happening in Alice Springs and about a, a lot of young Indigenous youth uh, getting out in the middle of the night and doing whatever they want, you know, bloody bashing people, whatever they're doing. And it just, for me, it looks like these young kids just don't have anything to do. They've been brought up uh, in whatever way they've been brought up and maybe their parents were exactly the same and they've got nothing to do. They've got nothing to inspire them or, or no reason to think that they could ever become something. They're just stuck in this mindset for, for whatever reason. And, and, I mean, there's a million reasons, obviously, through, you know, uh, institutionalized racism throughout Australian history, right? That's a very fair reason, but also there's no, there's nothing there in Alice Springs, or, or maybe even further out than Alice Springs. You're talking about real rural uh, outback areas. There's nothing. There might be a hospital in fucking 500 kilometers. There's no, nothing there's, there for these there, people. There is a huge, huge military installation just outside of Alice Springs. Okay, Pine Gap. Yes, and it's been there in the 60s. It was enough to topple. Gough Whitlam, when he wanted to throw the Yanks out, the CIA out, because they were doing sneaky things and spying on his cabinet ministers and spying on his cabinet ministers and the like. Um, but when, when Gough started getting cheeky about that, he got literally thrown out of government yeah. uh, in a day. This is a sitting prime minister. So th- there's there's a lot of power out there. Um, but anyway, the, the point you're making is that these kids live up, you know, in, in, in the middle of Australia. It's bloody hot. It's all sand. It's all the rest of it. And, but this is where their traditional communities live. But they get brought in um, and, you know, I don't pretend to know the whole sort of Indigenous story, but I do know basically they, they, were, they were seen as savages and, mm. and um, yeah, nothing better than, than vermin early on to be exterminated. That's been going on for sort of 200 years. Um, in the in the twenties um, and thirties, to try and sort of whiten all these little black boys and girls up, they um, they just stole them from their families, mm. stole them from their families, and just pitched them into another family. Um, I know um, I used to go, we used to go to church, me and the, me and our family, and there'd always be these other two families, and they had a flock of kids as everybody did in those those days, and 
and both of those families had this right at the end of the, the pew was these two little black girls who looked completely sort of out of place with his family and they were all sort of you know redheads um anglos white freckles and all the rest of it and he's this little sad looking indigenous kid like i could never sort of understand what was going on and mum and dad didn't really sort of elucidate the issue and i don't think anybody sort of really knew but um many years uh, later I, I came to understand that the, the, these kitties had been mm. dragged from their parents like imagine, imagine getting forcibly dragged from your parents mm. um and to go and live with a family of redheads too that'd be <laughs> what a punish what <laughs> an be, absolute punish. Be dog shit. there's better <laughs> there's better neighborhoods to get sent to uh, well this yeah. was something that uh friend of the show Derek Vale was talking about was you know it, it wasn't a stolen generation they were kidnapped yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's that's exactly they were right. kidnapped out of their homes yeah, yeah. through this white Australia policy and you've got these politicians again we're back to policy settings you know the the, the politicians can make things better um, in this case they had a policy setting they were all scared of anybody who was darker than them and and they had the white Australia policy and um, and the stolen generation and that was that was their considered approach to improving the lives of Australia. Like it's um, in, particularly in, in Indigenous communities, they're, they're very sort of matriarchal, and the to have that impact on mothers who are at the centre of the tribal sort of community settings, um, it just breaks their hearts. And 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 the, and the kiddies like like we, we would all have with our parents to get dragged away and know that you were different. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't be hard. You know, I'm 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 black and you're white, and uh, you know, and you've got memories of wandering around the bush and having all these fun and eating eating witchetty grubs and you know getting in touch with nature and now you're in the burbs, mm. and you're told to do this and pray to you know some god in the sky and. All of these sorts of things, and then start to learn about um, the official version of of, um, of Australian history. Uh, it, it must have been irksome to um, you know that's that's an understatement for them to start to understand about Indigenous culture to the extent they have been taught Indigenous culture in in our school. But uh, I'm sure they touched on it at, at one point and uh, wouldn't have mentioned the reality of it all. And so the the, the you know there was. Uh, a few jo- few jokes you made a little while back, and yeah, um, I we're doing it, we're doing it, <laughs> we're doing. It. Well, <laughs> no, I I wasn't particularly happy, right. but, but yeah, that's that's my prerogative. I'm I'm just a fan. You're not right. the only one. <laughs> You're allowed to not be happy. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's the whole. I don't know, anyway, go on. But it's 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 about knowing the story, and 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 I, and I think a lot of this comes from ignorance. So. You, you go to school, you, you're not taught, you're taught official history and, and history is just one part of what you learn. The rest of the other stuff is just useless stuff that frustrates you and, and you know, I, I challenge many, many kids who've left high school to, to find anything that um, was important that they studied at school. A bit of home economics maybe? or Well, maybe how to, <laughs> no. how to make a milkshake or a smoothie or something. <laughs> but, uh, but other than that, you know, what's important to learn? I... I I loved history, and, and and I know that history tells us about our past, and you can learn from the past, and then based on the experience of our, our forebears, you can then you know settle on a strategy for the future. George Orwell 
um, had, had a quote about, uh, I think it was something along the lines of um, control the past and you control, no, you control the present and you control the past. If you control the past and you control the future. And that, that was, came from his novel, 1984, the whole dystopian sort of world. But um, that's effectively where we are now. They control the, the present. If you control the present, then you can control what is written in the official history. So mm. what we then learned at school. History that's, is written that, by the victors, yeah. It's, it's, well, it's written by the victors, but it's also shaped and, and, and so it's politically sure. correct. And um, it's not until many years later that you, know, you start chasing down other sources um, sources that are you know more relevant, were, were closer to the time, and you start to realise that official history was bullshit. Mm. But by by controlling what we thought of the past, then that then impacts what we think of the future. So we go back to the past reference. We go, oh no, was, that was all, that was all right. Let's deal with it that same way, rather than going back to the real past and saying, geez, that was bad. Mm. Um, we need to review how we're going to look after the future. So. Um, the control of information, the control of minds, the the censorship you're talking about uh, with respect to um, can't talk about this, can't talk about that. They're basically just funneling everybody into a narrative, um, uh, you know. And, and people talk about we go to war and all these sort of um, platitudes for some of our soldiers. You know, they fought for our freedoms and all of these sorts of things. Like, yeah. Bullshit, you know. My um, grandfather, he was, you know, killed in New Guinea, and uh, or when he came home, um, great grandfather was in the first war. You know, I, I have the utmost respect for their sacrifice and and for some of the good things they did. But you think about the First World War, that was just a just a, a, a rip rip snorting, you know, let's go on a big trip kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think they yeah. they genuinely believe they were fighting for their country no they, they were fighting this is australia and, and if you think 120 years ago australia was a hell of a long way from gallipoli yeah, for sure uh they were doing it because kings and queens historically over centuries um grab all their subjects and if they got all these subjects living on their land and growing and having families and, and growing chooks and things like this they go right we got a war line up and um, we'll allow you to stay on the land, and but we need you to fight. And if if, if you think um, you go to the First World War, it was just an absolute disaster. Literally, by the end of 1914, something like two million soldiers had already been killed. Jesus. That was the first year of the war. They thought it was going to be over by Christmas. Then they then they just got into the trenches, and then it was on. But here, here were Australians travelling over to the Middle East, uh, in, in, in a campaign that they had little control over, that is the senior officers, that eventually changed uh, through all the carnage, but, um, uh, and they achieved exactly what? You know, that we lost most of our beautiful young men uh, of that era, as did most countries, and, um, and they just, you know, withdrew from Gallipoli and mm. ended up going to the, to the, um, the Western Front and sitting in the, in the trenches and, and dying in, in millions. Uh, for who? You know, it ended up a political outcome because Germany at that time, uh, Berlin was becoming the big cosmopolitan centre of, you know, at the turn of the, 19th, the 20th century, that was, was the big place. It was full of all the great philosophers. Um, economically, they were really sort of advancing. And um, the British obviously had issues with this because 
uh, they had been at war with France and Germany and various other countries over the centuries and and um, uh, they needed to pull Germany into gear, which the same thing happened in the Second War after, after they um, forced all those reparations on them. So you've got the big end of town coordinating literally over centuries and this hasn't like this is not hasn't just been going on for 20 years as young most young people think we we sit here and we have a collective memory of 20 30 years a couple of decades yeah that's a long time ago and all this but all of this stuff has been going on for for centuries in one form or another um you know and um i just think that uh Every Australian kid needs to put down the iPhone or whatever and find books, find alternative views. Okay, this is how I understand this, but is that the truth? It's a bit like picking up the Daily Telegraph here in Australia, in, in Sydney. You know, if somebody says, oh, I read that in the Telegraph. Well, is, it, is that the truth or did you read it in the telly? Um, <laughs> like you just cannot trust the mainstream media. So who do you trust? Mm. everybody then sort of dies back in and they sort of hibernate a little bit and they've got this narrow view of things that come up on your Facebook feed, which is such a... Like, the which world, is curated anyway. To which is curated. Like, you've got this mad world. I'm, when I when I had my heart attack, you know, two things scared the life out of me. One, one was that, that I, I wouldn't be with my family and I wouldn't be there to sort of, you know, help or encourage or assist or and be part of that but the other thing was i've always had this thirst for knowledge and i've always had a healthy cynicism about official views and whatnot primarily because every time i've looked past official views i found that there are you know dozens of other um more logical um or, or more suitable sort of solutions or or commentary that um smash the official um, position. So, um, I'm, I'm I'm probably getting a little bit off topic here, guys. You're getting a little, a little bit, bit off microphone. That's what you're doing. Off microphone. Sorry, <laughs> doing <laughs> these ones, talking over like this. There's yes. no topic, mate. Just, just bring it with you. No yeah. topic. Yeah. Bring it with you. Yeah. You can even hold it if you really want it. Yeah, really. I'll just yeah, hold okay. the hold the no, no, this the that thing. Yeah, Call it the shaft. Right. I think. Hold, grab <laughs> grip the shaft and point the thing towards you. Yeah, yeah right. I'm, I'm good. Go. I'm good. Hey, you know what? It's pointing down. There you go. <laughs> It's a big mic. <laughs> but you did you did bring up the the particular humour that I used. Um, and what annoyed me about all of that reaction was that it took away from real conversations about uh, indigenous people and the and the relationship to, to non indigenous people. And I mean, you know, I've had a lot to say on this show about Australia Day and that we should change the date and a lot of other things that a lot of people disagree with me on. Uh you're right there, mate. Just looking shit at me. Fucking hell. But, you know, and then I go out on stage and, and make jokes that a lot of people weren't happy about, but a lot of people were happy about, uh, including Indigenous people. You know, where do you where do you weigh it up? Obviously, me on stage is not actually my opinions. And I think this is where we get it confused for a lot of people in Australia, particularly uh, particularly with left-leaning comedians. Often their their jokes and their and their style of humour has a political bias to it like it, they want to get their point across and they want to make mm. real you know dramatic points and that's not me you know my shit on stage is just the most either just whatever just anything that's funny you know if people laugh I'll, I'll tell it 
you know? And these jokes aren't just me going out there and going, oh, let's just see if this works. It, it has worked. It does work. People find it funny, and that's why I tell it. But, but it, it does annoy me that, that people say, oh, well, that must be him. And I understand why people like that. I had this guy at the coffee yeah. shop the other day who wanted to fight me. <laughs> well, just yeah, the other day. Because, where at? Yeah. Just down the Local. road. <laughs> just yesterday. And, and, and I said, I said, he's like, oh, you're, you think you're funny? And I was like, oh. oh I'm a comedian, so. I, I said, mate, I said, this, these are jokes, mate. He goes, yeah, well, you know, watch out. Oh, really? Yeah. And I said, Shit. mate, I'm, I'm telling you, there's, I make these jokes about everyone. This isn't not just about your people. Should have fucked him up. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is not a fucking movie, Bluey. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was pissed off because, like, I'd like to talk to that person. And I'd like to explain to that person that this is not reality. These but see, so you send out. Mixed signals. So you're a comedian, right? Let's let's la- let's laugh at ourselves. Yeah, you know? sure. Oh, I get that. That's you over here, but here you are now, and as you do regularly, you talk about really serious topics. So now you're a social commentator. So you're actually a, a social influencer, uh, and so you're toggling between you know I'm just talking shit to now I'm talking serious, and. People aren't sure exactly where, where you're sitting. So you might be making a joke, but they've watched your recent podcast, which was really sort of heartfelt and to the point and, you know, a, a really strong um, uh, addition of your, your action. And, um, and now you're telling jokes. Sure. And, and I, t- I think there's just a little bit of confusion there sometimes. That's all. I tell you where the difference lies. Am I on stage being a comedian or am I sitting here having a, a conversation? Like if you're on stage and you walk into a comedy show and you see a comic up there, you enter into this this contract. Yeah, yeah no, with agreed, comedy. Agreed. That what is being said isn't is not hateful. No one's trying to hurt you. No one's trying to harm you. It's all pretend. Like it, it, you know, I t- I say horrible things on stage. Like if someone's you know yelling at me or whatever, I'll tell them to kill themselves. I'll do whatever. Uh, but I'll say it with a big smile on my face. Kind of mean it. Well, sometimes if you really interrupt me, show I definitely mean it. But but you know like. And you can get away with those things because they've they've come in, they've entered into a contract, and they've gone, okay, we're here to laugh. And maybe I made to make that more clearer during shows. I don't know, but Bluey made the good point that maybe you shouldn't put up that type of humor, and it's it's a shame. I feel I, I just my my point was like I think like do whatever you want at your shows, but that's at the show. People pay that money to see and hear that stuff. Clipping it and putting it on TikTok and Instagram is the issue for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my thing is like like if you go to a comedy show, it is a free for all. People know that. That's why they pay their money to see you. But when you when you cut it and put it on TikTok and that, that's when you're asking. So for what trouble. what if I put it on YouTube, like as the whole the whole show? <sighs> Might be different. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. But like a, like you know that like TikTok and Instagrams, it's divisive. It's designed to be yeah. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you and you know what I mean, like I fucking said context, like to the nth degree. But people know that when they come and see you, there wouldn't be many people at your shows that would watch that and go blow up but no, be when no. that clip gets posted and it's out there for people to get upset about that's when you're asking for trouble that's well, all I what, reckon what's crazy is that a lot of people said oh, you'd never make a joke about the barley bombing but I have a joke straight after that bit about yeah. the barley bombing yeah. and about white Australian people like yeah. so it's just I guess it is context but I, I, I you know I, as I said before I wish well, I had that, that that's it you've hit it on the head and if you if, if you had sort of if you were an indigenous person that was dragged away from your mother as a two or three-year-old screaming bubba. Um, and you're just about to have a child yourself. Put yourself in that space. There are tens of thousands of people all around Australia, Indigenous families, who 
felt that. Mm. And, 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 and this is like a deep stain um, uh, on their family story. Mm. And uh, you could tell any joke you want, but as soon as you touch on that, it's a bit like the Holocaust. But, you know? but what about the Holocaust? What about 9-11? What about cancer? What about rape? Well, not, what about all these things? 9-11 was a con in my view. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's hardly the point. I was waiting for that. <laughs> but, you know, mate. What about the Kennedy assassination? Let's yeah. talk about that. No, it, you can you can find a lot of things that are very offensive to a lot of people. I've joked about the most heinous shit of all time on, on stage. Yeah, now, I think, I think we're back to the point. We, we've already settled it. It's, it's, that, it's context. If you're trying to be a social commentator, people are listening to your considered opinions, and then you start dissing on particular group uh, they, they they feel that that's actually Isaac's view mm. uh, and people are influenced by you um, if you're up on stage so it's context it's mm. context and place and and also recognize that there are some people out there like you think about your my mother your grandmother you know she was she was an orphan mm. um, when she was five your parents, parents died in World War Two, and her mother died a couple of months later. And she's five, six years old, thrown in with the nuns on her own, wet in the bed, and just in her own room and screaming the whole time. And so, do a joke about orphans. But I have done jokes about orphans. Yeah, yeah I know, I, but but what I'm saying is, just think about it's it's a bit when you write a letter. Write a letter. Anybody writes letters anymore? No, <laughs> but, I don't think I've ever written one time. Well, if it, Let's say it's a business business letter. Okay, maybe we've written Louis, some bi- business written, letters. You run a business. Have you ever written a business <laughs> letter? Scaffolding business, mate. Not many of us can write. Please pay me. <laughs> yeah. but, but but if you're trying to say something, you've got to look at it and you've got to say, well, uh, what's the upside of me saying this? Uh, and you know, I want to say it. Yeah. You know, I feel I should be able to say it. Um, what's the downside of me me saying it? Um, and so just consider things before they're said and just say, well, no, actually there's, there's, no, there's no real upside for me here, but there's a shitload of downside because there are and, – and I think it's just through ignorance. You didn't get taught any of this in school. Um, I, I did because I saw it in real life. I was part of that generation and I, I became interested in it and I've got many of my friends are Indigenous brothers and sisters and their story is just so fucking painful. Oh, you know, it's just so painful. But you don't understand that story, so you're off on your journey of understanding. And I think, you know, uh, I hope, hope the Indigenous brothers and sisters, you know, have, have, have a little bit of a space in their heart for you to, to go off and learn about Rob Thomas. Matchbox 20. Max, Matchbox 20. He fucked up. He fucked up. What did he say? This was years ago. He, he, he made a joke at a concert. Well, it was, it was off the cuff kind of comment at a, at a concert years it was a few years ago now. yeah yeah and, and anyway he just got pumped and he and he's a pommy isn't he ah he's a yank he's a yank so and he's just come out and said I had no idea that this was going on yeah. here and, you know, like, this is an off the cuff sort of racist comment yeah like, right. it was about getting drunk as like black Australian drunk or something like yeah, yeah. Black, drunk to like, like black Australian drunk. Well, that's what he said well, yeah you're yeah. lucky I'm going to clip that yeah. but, um, but what he eventually did was in order to atone he, he, did, he didn't come out and just Mag on about some mad apology. He came out and said, "He says going forward, I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to get to know some indigenous brothers and sisters, and I want to learn their story. This is a this is the oldest civilization civilization on planet on the planet, and 
uh, I want to know a little bit mm. more given how ignorant I am. And, um, and so he's now got um, a number of contacts here in Australia and when he comes out here he sort of hangs with them and he, and he goes out and does different things and he just learns. And I think like we've all got so much to learn, you know. When I said after the heart attack, the, the second thing I was worried about was, was that I wouldn't have the time to learn all the things that I should know. Uh, and I, I've spent a couple of years at home and books and writing stuff and l- chasing rabbits down holes, and I've learned a shitload. I'm a, sh- a lot, lot more enlightened than I than I ever was three or four years ago, um, and that's crucial. Yet, yet I'm an inquiring mind all the time. But I'm, unfortunately, we all get stuck in our debt position. Mm. We, we we want you know a. a a Rip Curls T-shirt, rather, rather than getting a, a blank T-shirt from Target for five bucks, we want a Rip Curl one. You are I wearing s- a Billabong T-shirt at the moment. <laughs> I'd like to point that out. That's because he works hard. <laughs> no, that's because my darling buys me all the good stuff. Yeah, fair enough. But people are just spending money. They want cars and all that, so they get in debt. And now, um, w- with money not going up, uh, that is wages, they are literally getting up in the dark, going to work, getting in massive traffic, stressed, fumes, going to a certainly a, a non-democratic workplace where they're treated, their tyrants want them to do this, do this, I don't give a shit, you know, this, this and this. Thankfully there's some sort of like health and safety sort of laws they have to have to keep up with. Then at the end, the, at the end of the afternoon they've said nothing with their family, they've done nothing all day, they then get in the same queue to go home, along with the same mugs all going the same way. And, and for many of them it's because they have got themselves into debt or they haven't learnt about finances. You know, if, if, if you think about the biggest things that impact. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, us, on, on a daily basis, you know, obviously relationships are crucial. Um, our health is crucial. But the one thing that we, that we, we have here in Australia is, is, is the financial system. And they can exacerbate damaging relationship issues or health issues and I, and I know for you know for a fact if you if you think about the the um the biology the physiology of 
of, of uh, hormones. You know, if, if you wake up every morning, say it's 6 o'clock and it's beep, 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 you know, get up, you, you know, you've been worrying all night, tossing and turning about, uh, you've got bills coming up, not sure how you're going to pay, you've got a little Johnny wants to go on that trip and you want to get him new footy boots and you've got three or four kids and they're going to cost you, you know, you're going to have to sell one of the kids and, and all those. <laughs> you know, you've got all of those issues. You wake up in the morning and very quickly, boom, 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 it's all going through your head and cortisol. Mm. It's a bit like adrenaline, cortisol, um, but it's, it's the negative sort of um, hormone. Now, the cortisol will constrict your blood vessels. That's why there is an epidemic of high blood pressure because it's, it's the, the, the physiology. You, you're just thinking bad thoughts, oh, shit, how am I going to pay this? I'm going to have to get in the car, I'm fucking late, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and you're doing that all day and that cortisol is just coursing through. Now, you do that for, for a day or two, you'll feel pretty crap. You do that for five, ten years, you do that for 25 years, 30 years, um, you, you fall apart. And, and, and this is where we are. And, it's, and, I, and I think human nature, if you think of um, all little kitties, they're, they're all angels. They all start off as angels and then they get exposed to the real world. They get exposed to the messaging and, and the understanding and, and you know, there's a – that little black boy is, is is not as good as me, apparently, and all these sorts of things. And so they, they pick all this stuff up and then they turn into arseholes at some point. Um, now, that may, may be because their parents – so this is an intergenerational thing where the parents from my generation, the schooling wasn't that great, there wasn't a lot of support uh, through the government, there wasn't a lot of uh, you know, public services and things like that. So a lot of those kids became – bums like their mum and dad Th then they go off and get girls pregnant and now they've got another three or four kids they're not really mentors because they never had mentors themselves because perhaps they came from a broken home or, or whatever um and this just goes on for generation after generation and 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 so you have all of these kids who are missing out on so much and and most in society say well no he's a little rat bag you know forget him or lock him up or put him in the boy's home or, or, or do something severe, well, mate, survival instincts will just um, ensure that you fight back. And we have all these, the disaffected youth all around Australia. You know, we've, the, the Alice Springs is mm. just, just a microcosm of, uh, you know, there's plenty of little white and yellow boys here in, in, in Sydney and Newcastle that, that are also feeling, how the fuck am I going to make a quid? How am I going to have a family? I can't buy a home. I can't, my parents were always struggling. It's just struggle, struggle, struggle. And that is primarily because of this huge financial shift from the, from the bottom of the pyramid, as it were, to, to the top. The, the, you know, it, it, it's well known that during the COVID, am I allowed to say that? During the COVID well, period? We've already, got the sticker. It's already been said. The We've got the sticker. The sticker's on. Okay, We've okay, got it. Okay. Go your um, that, that it was the greatest wealth transfer from those who don't have it to those who have it in human history. Um, you know, and, and, and the Warren Buffetts and blokes you talked about earlier and that, they doubled their wealth, mm. whereas most other people went backwards. Um, so th there are lots of issues that are bubbling all the time. I don't see, you know, you look in the prisons, for example. In the US, it's just ridiculous. They, they've gone to private prisons. So it's in the interest of the local senator who's got the, got the jail in his, in his electorate um, and he's getting, you know, two or three hundred grand a, a year uh, to, um, you know, support that private institution. Um, and so he changes the laws, you know, 
two, two or three strikes. Got Blake's got a little joint. Ah, well, mate, that's your third strike. Fifteen years. That's insidious, isn't it? It's like okay, let's not fix up the parks. They're incentivised to yeah. Well, let's not make marijuana legal. Let's not do this. Hey, you know, if you're caught with this amount. Put him away. Uh, let's not fix up the housing problems. Let's not fix up domestic violence because these are all going to lead to to having more customers. Wasn't that one of Biden's things that he ran on? They were going to like non-violent drug offenders were going to get pardoned. Or, or well, I think in LA like at the moment you can just you can get if you don't steal if you steal from a from a shop and it's under a thousand dollars you don't get charged. Yeah, they've just stopped like, caring. I think like it's mad because the prisons are just so chockers at, at the moment. But on your point about. Um, disaffected youth i think um at the moment it's all about alice springs but it is it is everywhere it's it's young people of all different colors it doesn't matter what color of skin you have like there are people who are just they're breaking into cars they're doing shit they're doing drugs they're doing nangs they don't give a fuck they're just doing whatever they're doing because they've got nothing like nothing's driving them forward they don't see a way out they were born into a household where you know, mum and dad get home and they just, they're super stressed, as you said. And the only way they know how to treat it is to sink piss and smoke drugs. And that's every night. And then that's the exact same path that they'll follow as you talk about cortisol levels. That'll pump up. And the only way they'll be able to deal with them, uh, with those levels of stress and anxiety, is anti anxiolytics like alcohol, like drugs. They fight it and they teach their kids to do the exact same. And the, uh, the circle of life continues. Doesn't matter about race, it, it, it just comes down to, um, People, it just comes down to the, the human species needs to have some sort of something to reach for. Yes, they, well, the human species, I think, at its core, bonobos. Yeah, yeah, and bonobos are our closest. They chimps, primates. No, they're bonobos. Chimps are chimps, and they are <laughs> the <Rhinos>. most. <laughs> they are like rescue greyhounds. Uh-oh. They are the most caring. Oh, you got his attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please go on. And, and you know, and these bonobos have, have been sort of looked at and studied and all the rest of it. And it, it sort of it, it challenges the, the concept that oh no, the reason we go to war and that is because mate, human beings at their core are fucking aggressive and they're fucking this and they're that and that's how you need to be. Mm. And if you're going to win in business, well, you've got to fucking rip this bloke off and you've got to take this bloke on, you've got to do it X and Y. And so everybody's on edge. It does look like you, Bluey. Yeah. It's actually scary. <laughs> it's one of the lookalikes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the I, I don't think – because you, you run into so many beautiful people mm. and then they're – but – Across the human continuum, you've got people who are a bit slower, people who are sharper and whatnot, but you've also got psychological sort of issues. You've got the psychopaths and the sociopaths and whatnot, and um, they tend to uh, represent as CEOs and things like that because they're fucking aggressive and they don't give a shit about their workers and, and they're, they're this and that, and they can put on this beautiful face as soon as they get in front of a, a camera and, and, and appear caring and feeling and all this. These are the different types you've got out there and so it just confuses everybody. Uh, but the thing for me is school is not doing the job it should do for the people. If, if you think of, um, what's his name, Blake, a Dewey, yeah, the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about Jews then. I was like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> We're not going there. Jesus We're not going Christ. there. But he Dewey, went. Dewey, uh, Ben Shapiro. Not the JM. At the turn of the, the 20th century, he and, he and a group of other American sort of education people all went to, the, uh, all went to Germany. As I mentioned, the Germany was 
was this really sort of burgeoning clever place and um and and they nailed it around psychology and education and all this sort of thing and what they learned over there was that that um the germans had the perfect system they, because they understood psychoanalysis and all this sort of stuff they knew how to shape people and so their education system was literally put together not so much to in, encourage creativity or individualism and all this sort of thing it was about conditioning them into a into a lane mm. And it was all about because the, the you know, was at, at that point it was still still run by um, the aristocracy, and um, and and big business, and so all, all they wanted their kiddies to do and learn was to be um, good units of production. So so kids are kids are taught really basic stuff. Uh, most importantly, they're told to conform, wear these shoes, stand in this line, do as you're told come out now that's all conditioning so that when you go to work you're not questioning the boss now we think we can do this better or you know why are we doing this or why don't we do that we don't want any of those turkey bastards uh, they become problems which is why they get kicked out of school and whatnot because they question or they ask or they're not engaged um uh, and so he took it back to the us and and we picked up the same system and the, certainly in new south wales here there was, uh, I think, one of those creepy Opus Day sort of um, schools uh, that had tried to go, um, teach the kids something a little bit outside the curriculum, which I think there are many areas. You know, we talked about goal setting and diet and you know, understanding basic phys- physiology, these important things, which are life and survival skills, growing food, for example. Um, and they got a massive kick in the ass, and they said, "Mate, you'll be getting no funding, mm. and you know, there's a chance we'll breach you guys if you don't stick exactly to this system, uh, or this curriculum that we have given you." So, of course, they've gone back. They've got a slap on the head, and and um, now they're doing, they're teaching the kids exactly. But it, you know, I've had you know, five five my five sons go to school, and the common thread I get is that they kill your spirit. Nothing's engaging, nothing's interesting. Uh, and for those other people who I know who are creative too, sons of other friends and whatnot, it just hasn't worked for them. Mm. Um, and and if, they, if they have a little bit of spirit at all, the teachers try and bash it out of them. Now, they don't bash them these days, of course. They, they, <laughs> they, they should. Maybe they should. Maybe they should. But I, I guess my point is that um, we're relying on school to do all this you know, babysitting and, and set the kids up. But I think there's there's a real important role for parents, and again, you know, this importance of mentors and 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 um, you know, mums and dads who are taking an interest and in saying, well, school is this sort of crap you need to learn in order so they can scale you on whether you go to uni or not. But there are all these other things you need to learn, and let's go out in the veggie patch. Let's learn how to grow food. Um, let's go down the park. Let's do some breathing. Let's you know, let's let's do a little bit of meditation. Get in a bit of spirituality. That none of this stuff is done at school, and consequently, kids don't know how to deal with the stress. I never knew how to deal with the stress, even though I'd played, um, you know, professional sport for a long time. And it wasn't until I had that break, and I think everybody who gets to fifty needs to have a couple of years off, uh, because you literally got your head down, ass up from eighteen, yeah, seventeen, mm. eighteen, yeah. head down, ass up, and you are sprinting for decades. And you don't know where you're fucking going. Occasionally, get up and there's a couple of big moments, a big night on the piss, and we do this, and then we're back into it again. And you like, you wake up one day, five years are gone, mm. and and like, where am I really going? What am I trying to really achieve here? 
what am I, you know, what sort of legacy perhaps am I trying to leave? What message should I send to my kids? That will give them a greater capacity to deal with this, with the challenges ahead. Um, the challenges that I, that I'm starting to see are going to be far greater than, than our generation. Um, Anyway, I'm, I'm monopolising the conversation. It's outstanding, mate. This, so is, this is fucking gold. Earlier on in the podcast, I said you you know a lot about everything. This, this is, is this is my this point. is gold. This yeah, is this my is point. No, I don't. Um, well, it's, it's it's easy to name more than you, fucking. Girl, <laughs> did, hang on, he said you, as in what did you say? I think he meant use. Yeah, he said use. You started laughing before he added the plural to that. So well, that's he's just <laughs> fucking gives goobers. Well, he's hit yes. the nail on the head. Yeah, well, you hit the nail. Well, mate, I'd hope you would. You're you're an intelligent person. You're very well read. But I'm I'm thankful that kids have access to the internet, and that's where school's not going to change. Not in under any government uh, in the in the future. That's that's for sure. It's just you know, I mean, you're four four years in a term. Um, they're not going to change. This people would freak out if they tried to change it. But thankfully, we have the internet for people to. Because I was never really interested in school at all. I just never was. You never you never read a book. I know in school, but, but I was. I just wasn't interested. In. Mm-hmm. But once I got older. Yeah. I, I started to go because I, I think if I I, I could have gone to uni straight out of school and I would have just. It would have been a waste of time. I think university is a waste of time for a lot of um, career career paths. Yeah. But if I was to do that, I think I would have to wait until I'm at least 30 to do it. That's when I did it. That's when you did it. Because you're actually an adult. You actually understand how the world works to an extent. You are a whole lot more mature than the person you were at 18 years old. And I think possibly one of the worst things that you can do as a young person is decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life at 17, lock, at 18. Lock yourself into a $100,000 hex debt and yeah. a career at 18. When at you're 18. Like, you're asked from your elbow. Like. And, and it's the same for even for tradies. Like if, yeah. you, if you get a trade at 16 and you commit four years – or even at 15, for four years you're a, a trades, or you're, you're doing your apprenticeship, all of a sudden you're on good cash. Like you're not going to go back and go, oh, I should have done plumbing. You know, I've got, not, I disagree with that a little bit because that's a, that's a skill. Sure. That's a, that's, a, that's a tangible, measurable income. Like, so I've got heaps of mates. I've, like, mate right now is about to become a teacher, but he's a plumber. Like, so he's got his plumbing trade. He's always going to have that to fall back yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying, like, some bike's just going to be a plumber. Be, for it would 50 be a years. risk. It'd be a risk to go, I'm going to go back and not make any money for a while, like back to square one, if you yeah, will, and go yeah. to uni. Yeah. Or you can do it online. Like, he's doing it online. No, no. I, I, know, know. I know what you're saying. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. a risk. It's like, okay, shit, do I just go back and yeah. make no money or barely any money for a little yeah. bit, maybe work on the weekends, a couple of cashies, and then put all of my extra time into this? I've already done the hard yards. Mm. I should just be. So I just, I just think that doing that at a young age is a risk. Now, obviously, I've, you know, I've fallen into some luck here with, with my career, but uh, I don't know how long it's going to last. So I've got to make sure that I, it could last for another five minutes, another five years, another five decades. Who the fuck knows, right? But I've got to make sure that I put enough things in place, whether it's other businesses, whether it's investments, whatever, or education. So that I can have a, a career afterwards, much like with footballers or sports people or whatever, or, or any. You see a lot of these people who once were, uh, you know, a singer or, or famous for whatever. They always are just hanging around. Mm-hmm. They're never really doing anything else because they're they're fearful of going back into the the real world. And I, I think that's you know, I've always said to Claire, I was like, listen, if if this falls over tomorrow, I'll just go get a job. Like, let's just do it. You know, we've got to make money. We've got to pay for the house. We've got to pay for the little fella who's coming along. Um, 
but I think a lot of people just aren't willing to 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 do that in in my position, if you will. But back to the young kids, I just think that making that decision at such a young age, and that's why I think gap years are great, gap decades are even better. <laughs> like just go out, see the world. Like this is all things that we spoke about when I was young. Go and see the world. All these things that I was I wanted to do, but it took time. Uh, and I think that's something built into me. I think I think you're pretty similar to it as well, Dad. Where unless you, it's your idea, you won't do it. No, that's you, you can't be buying into someone else's dream. You got to have your own dream and yeah. and and follow that path. And as much as somebody else wants to encourage you, unless it comes out of your own mind, it's got to be that you have to self motivate. And you have to be the one to set the goals. And it's, it's all well and good to have people tell you this, this is a good idea. But it's like you with making videos, Blue. Yeah. I can tell you until the cows come home, it's a great career and you should do it. Yeah. But unless you want to do it, it's then you won't do it. Or going to the gym or eating well, whatever it is. Unless you're willing to do those things. Passion. You passion. Just, yeah, you've got to have passion. You've got to have belief in it too. You've got to believe that it can work, you know. Mm. Like, like life is all about these small wins and these, like these, these, these tiny little increments of things that you do right and they lead up to something good and you can sort of track back. If I go back to my, 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 my biggest you know, wins that I've had in this part of my career, I always say like the Enmore Theatre Show and there was 2,000 people there. I can track back every single tiny small win that got to that point. Yeah. And what, it didn't just happen. It's like you playing footy. You, know, you can go back to every small thing that you did you with your business with whatever you know gabe making what three hundred thousand dollars a year working for me <laughs> roughly yeah um, <laughs> all of those can be measured after yeah. tax of course <laughs> um he's paying big bigger bass statements than me um it's been a pretty serious podcast yeah Louis, yeah. you want to talk about some? Well, I've got, yeah no it's been good it's good it's good it's very you, good you, you called me uh what did you call me um Disappointment? Uh, no, not a disappointment. That was before the show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, about the the indigenous joke that, that I had. You said it was because uh, I wasn't uh, ignorant. Ignorant. Hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, now, now you've got a journey to go on. Yeah. yeah. But but I think if I knew those horrible things, which I I know some of them, and, and you I know of them. them. I know of. I, I don't know. No, we. All, I'm saying like we know. We know of them. them. And this is one of the things I wanted to say about the schooling is we get taught with indigenous culture. We get taught about the dream time, and that's all well and good. But what about actual experiences? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all well and good to hear about these things, but what about, you know, and it comes back to what you said about, you know, uh, who writes the history. Yeah. Like why are we not learning about what happened uh, to, to this part of this Indigenous culture in Botany Bay when the, when, the, when the Whiteys turned up? Why don't we hear about that, their point of view? Why can't we allow people to make up their own uh, opinions about what, uh, take on all the evidence and then, uh, come up with their own opinions of what well, you know, actually happened. Just a quick one on that. Uh, one thing I found is that because we've gone to tech, tech is a sort of a, a medium where you know, if you're on your phone, like it's it's hard to read a book on your phone. Kindles and that are no good. Yeah. Um, so, so we've gone away from books and you can find a great book written by a really accomplished writer who challenges various conventions or has theories about how this went out and played and, and whatnot, uh, and, and it could, could blow your mind. But no one's going to the, the bookstores. Bookstores are just closing. So it, it ends up with rather than a, a deep sort of knowledge of the issue um, and, and various other sort of um, uh, colourings around it, 
you have this one sort of nice little position. You go, okay, I now know about that. I can write that in a paragraph. Mm. And and in, in most is- issues through history, you know, they, they are incredibly complex, and there are so many contributing factors and all the rest of it. That if you don't know that, you don't know how it all evolved. You just simply know the end point. Um, and and if you don't read books, then you don't get all that body. And 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 that's where I think. Whilst technology is good because you've got access to stuff, um, it it tends to make for a much more sort of hybridised, you know, very sort of uh, summarised version. More of shallow, that. shallow understanding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. the audio books, like as well. They're quite nice, but I don't think they're the same as actually reading. To something. sit and actually read something and like digest it and like wrestle with it physically. Yeah. Look at it. It's uh, it's completely it's, different. It's difficult. It's difficult to sit there and read an entire book. Yeah. Like I. I, I think that um, with the with the book that I'm working on, we were speaking about this last week, Jones, uh, the book that I'm working on, I'm really excited for people to have that as the first book they read. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people. Like, I have people come to my shows and like, this is the first comedy event that I've been to. Like, how great's that? Mm. I want this to be the first book that they've read, you know. Um, the last thing I'll say about the uh, the Indigenous thing was I think even though, even if I knew all the ins and outs, I still think you can make jokes about atrocities. If it's if 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 it's balanced, you don't just load up on one one gang. Sure, um, I I think if it's balanced, otherwise people go, well, why do you keep telling fucking jokes about us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to spread this out, but and that and that is goes back to what you said about pumping it all together in a one minute clip. Yeah, that's all people see. But, but like you've said before, that whole that, that section bit. of the set was you were teeing off on everyone, but all that got clipped was. That yeah. what got clipped, and so uh, we'll and, here, and then you get but still but still recognizing that. That you know, there will be joy, but there will be sections of the market who will be so offended. Like I, I know someone personally whose father, who was a, a world champion athlete, mm. um, and he was uh, stolen as a kid, sent up to Kempsey, up to the Conchiller um, mission up there, as a four or five year old boy. How he went on to be a world champion, uh, I'll never know. But even as an old man, and he's passed away now, uh, he just couldn't get get over it. He's just, mm. and and so his his son and daughter, or daughter-in-law in this case, like I just hold on to that that story and that and and that that emotion. And so as as, as soon as you pop that one out, you know, even though that they act, they're actually friends of yours, mm. um, you know, she, she nearly fainted. Mm. Is was the story I got? It was just it was just too too close to home from a friend. And doesn't Isaac? Well, of course, Isaac doesn't know that this was your story. Mm. He's just ignorant of those, of those sensibilities. And um, so, I think when you're going to be telling jokes that that are close to the bone, have a little bit of a think about it. Think about the, the ramifications. And back to that sort of letter writing sort of uh, approach. You know, where's the benefit that I say that? I want to say that, and I'm a comedian. I should be able to say fucking anything I want. Um, but there will be a demographic out there, a cohort that will be gutted. Mm. Um, and you know, do you really want to do that? Because your thing is actually trying to make the world laugh, which is a beautiful sort of ambition. I don't know if I'm trying to make everyone laugh because that's impossible. Yeah, yeah, people well, are going to be offended at, you know, that, that's what I was a bit before. carried away there. 
No, but I did. I used to think that. I used to literally think that I, I want to make everyone laugh, mate. This, but it's it's impossible. You can't. People will be offended by everything, and and that's the problem when you take on topics where they're currently popular. You take on the transgender topic. People are going to be gutted about that. And you take on LGBT people, the feminism, whatever. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I. I I, I completely understand where you're coming from, and to hurt people is definitely not what the whole point of the joke is. No, that's, no, no, that's, no, that's no. Not it at all. Well, that's not your style either. No, and, and when people know who I am, and I, I've spoken to Indigenous people post that, and I've been met with um, mixed responses, um, and I, I get that, and that's you know, I just I think when you try to look at a comedian and say they're a piece of shit because they said something that you deem to be racist, and they were racist jokes, or they're at least they're racial jokes um i don't think you can look at comics and say that they're bad people because of that but it is what it is at this point yeah it was it, it was a bit like when you did after the the christchurch sh- yeah. shooting it was you know the timing was a bit close perhaps or, or or whatever i actually told that joke two weeks after it happened and then i didn't get in trouble for it for a year so mm. yeah, yeah that was lucky yeah so <laughs> time 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 is important time is important here and and particularly at the moment yeah, you know, the the, the indigenous brothers and sisters have been getting the shit kicked out of them for two hundred and twenty years. Mm. Uh, they're they're living in fucking hovels. They get no proper education. This is you know a, a portion of them. Yeah, there are many successful indigenous people, of, of course. course. Uh, but you know, a lot a lot of their their community have just been left behind. Mm. And and there are these really serious issues bordering on genocide, um, which sit with generation and generation of kids. Uh, they hear these stories because you know, the indigenous more so than the um, uh, the white fella um, tend to share those stories down through the ages, and um, so their response is going to be a lot more visceral than perhaps you'd get from um, some goober white white boy who, who doesn't know his fucking history and and uh, doesn't get, give a fuck about anything other than himself, mm. kind of thing. But uh, anyway, we've. <laughs> We've had we've had a crack at that. Yeah, um, that's good. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, I think uh, I think there's more positive things that I can do uh, than negative things that I can do than I can that I can do in in this whole sort of journey that I'm on on the old social media. And I think I'll continue to sort of but, pump that out. But apologies are shallow. But I'm not. Go- I wouldn't apologize for yeah, that because if you say that. It's just because oh you've lost a sponsor or you, you've, you've upset some you know it, it's it's hurt your algorithms. I I think the people who've been hurt out there would prefer that you take a genuine approach and say oh, I actually need to understand the story because I perhaps I misspoke or perhaps I didn't understand the sensitivity of these uh, these sorts of views and 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 the actual raw history mm. and and to say those jokes now that I understand what you know the damage that that's done and wreaked through generations of kids and families and. Um, now I understand. Now, and, and that that will the only way to do that is to go out there and, and meet with people, understand their position, and um, uh, you know, as I said, go off on your journey to understand where you got it wrong. I still think you can tell those jokes, though. Well, no, I, well that's that's another topic because it's it's all about just the the sanctity of everyone being able to laugh at themselves, and I think everybody you know, shouldn't be so self sort of centric that they can, nobody can make a joke about you yeah 
Imagine if everyone in the room got a joke about them and nobody told a joke about me. I'm saying, well, what about fucking me? Well, this is what I get from autistic people because I do a bit about autism. Yeah. And I get at least one or two or three people every show thank you, thanking me for doing jokes about autism, be autism because no one ever does it. Yeah. And I don't think that any group of people are, you know, they should be saved or, 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 or sac- sacred people because of who they are, whether they're autistic or whether they're Down syndrome or whatever. I think you just can make jokes about absolutely anyone. Anyway, I... um, (laughs) Talking about making jokes. Talking about making jokes, Bluey. People keep sending me lookalikes. Yeah. What do you got? Of me. Yeah. Have you got... I'll give Gabe a couple of seconds to get them up. Now, I've seen these and they are... They're all hideous. (laughs) <laughs> They're all from Mardi Gras too. Which <laughs> so this is from Triple J. Triple James, you might want to put your um, your Elton John glasses on here. That, that's um, that's from Mardi Gras. The guy on the right. People keep. I got like five over that, the weekend. Gabe? How? Who said this is you? The guy on the right. That does, that does look. The closer you get, that does look like you. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's pretty close. That's pretty oh good. God. That, that's pretty close. Yeah, that's, I keep getting sent in, and like, there's been a few. A couple of DMs. They're all person's. super camp and they all kind of look like me too. Is that from your phone? Because uh, there's a few DMs. No, that's that the screenshot from the guy who sent it to There's a bit of inbox me. action going on there. Oh, Someone, inbox is chock-a-block. He's a bit dodgy. I think Just full of lookalikes. I'll yeah. see if I can grab another one. Grab yeah. some other ones as we go. But yeah, I keep getting sent lookalikes, which is great. That is great. Well yeah. done. A lot, lot, lot of me walking around Mardi Gras on the weekend apparently. Big big weekend for the gays. Yeah. Big weekend, getting out and getting after it in uh, uh, in Sydney. There, I saw. Um, it's just a big party, isn't it? Oh, is it? I don't know. It yeah, just looks yeah. like everyone's just getting fucked up and having a good time. We're getting fucked. And I, yeah. I think, I, I think um, someone was saying that it goes through to next Saturday. It's just, it goes for two weeks. That's, I think that's that's too much. That's just, a lot. That's uh, that's quite a bit, to be honest. Good party. That's a lot of lot of tissues. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of jelly. That's a lot of um, a lot know, of KY. Yeah, KY petroleum jelly. Um, have you ever been? Have you ever been to Mardi Gras? No, never been. No, I've never been, been on a been. float, Jones. No, no, though I have uh, some very close, um, <laughs> very close gay friends and and whatnot. I think they're, they're beautiful. I, I I was once a little bit sort of uh, homophobic, as was I actually, and uh, growing I, up, but I grew up and I was like, yeah, yeah. what the fuck do I care? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, well, particularly in rugby league, professional sport. What's that? There's another one that I got sent. Someone that looks like me. <laughs> don't, I don't see that one at all. I, I don't reckon this bad. one. I reckon this one's the best. That gay blocks. I don't mind that one. He's gay and German. Apparently, <laughs> he's got the Oktoberfest gear on. I think it's the eyes. <laughs> I, that, I don't mind that. With that's two all right. Black eyes. Yeah, <laughs> looks like he hasn't been to bed for a while. So it's, I think yeah. that's the resemblance there. Yeah. No, a big fan of the gays on this show. We love the gays. Um, yeah, looks the, like a lot of fun. The lesbians and the and the and the trans, not not so much. Not so much. You're uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we're cool. I I think I think it's weird that the that the, the the trans and the others are all in on board with the gays because gay men are just just blokes who like blokes. Why are they them's in there, Josh? It's just all one thing, isn't it? But why is it? One I don't know. Thing? I don't know why it gets painted as. Isn't one. it weird that it's one thing? They're I think very, they're all very different crews. Oh, they're so it's, different. It's, it's strange to put them all together. It's like having a class of other. Yeah. It's just I. I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me that it's all LGBTIQ plus. Yeah, it's a long one. Well, they they have all been because normal normal has been thrust upon us. This sure. is this is what normal is. It's the same with skin-coloured pencils. I never thought about that up until recently. What's that? Pencils. 
Where's you know, going with that? You know, like cream coloured skin coloured pen. What colours a skin coloured pencil? Oh, like whose mm. skin? Yeah, exactly. Like know. you know, skin coloured pencils. Mm. That's not a gay euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> the old skin coloured pencil. Skin coloured pencil, please. A skin coloured pencil is something we'd have at, at primary school, and you'd colour in with it, and you say, "Oh, throw us the skin coloured pencil." This does sound like a fucking sounds, doesn't it? The more you say it, the gayer it sounds. But but it's something you don't think about until you get about like with the homophobia and all that type of stuff. You go, "Oh, that's a bit." Writing a letter with a skin coloured pencil. If you were if you were a black person and you said, "Where's the skin coloured pencil?" Look, see your skin colour. Yeah, yeah nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's um yeah, see that colour that that is skin colour. That's um looks like something girls do on their, their lips or whatever, isn't it? It's not just girls, man. Blacks, whatever. <laughs> I've had a crack at it. Yeah, it's a bit sharp. <laughs> what um yeah. it would be remiss not to talk about football a little bit, Bluey. You got some you would have some footy questions for the old Jones. Yeah. I'm I could yeah, I could sit here all day well, talking footy. We're we're talking about um Mardi Gras going for two weeks. What about Post grand final celebrations, that we went for a week and a half, didn't it? So, for anyone that's not familiar with who and what you've achieved and who you are, obviously, aside from Isaac's dad, you're it's a big achievement, by the way. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously that's top huge. of the mantle, but <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> won a premiership with the Newcastle Knights in 1997. And um, from all reports, partied for some time, as you should. Yeah, no, we did. We did. Um, well, uh, professional sport. At the time, you think it's all—that's literally what life's about because mm. you've you've worked so hard to get there, and um, you know, from a young age. But um, uh, you you come to realise that it's you know, a little bit of a just part of your journey, and and uh, I don't think too much about football anymore. You do treat it like a war. You don't talk about it much. <laughs> it's like you went to war. No, no, no. It, it it was in those days. It was it was scary shit. The so, blokes were incredibly aggressive. You you had to be at that level of performance, mm. um, and so your mind had to had to get into that state. You, you couldn't just you know, be having a crack and a couple of jokes in the in the dressing room and so oh, you know the game started. Let's go. Uh, otherwise, you get you get damaged. But there were, there were a lot of really. Uh, a lot of gunslingers out there. Everybody wanted to take everyone's block off, and um, I, I was one of those blokes who, who tried to be a really fair guy. That was how I was taught. That was how Dad sort of encouraged us all to think about different things. And and um, and so for me, it was just if somebody then um, uh, didn't follow that that theme, if they wanted to go outside the boundaries, outside the rules and, and hit me high or do something cheap, then, then I'd just lose it and I'd, I'd, I'd go pretty hard then. But uh, otherwise, I'd, I just enjoyed playing and, and uh, playing with a group of guys uh, at a real high-intensity level. Um, but the big issue was, was injuries. Mm. You know, I, I had uh, literally every week, you know, we talk about – your brother, my son, Jonas, number three boy, in the Butterfield clan. He's uh, he's loving his footy and, and thinks about it. Great player. Deeply. Great. He's, he's a great player and you know, may go on to be um, something um, in, the, in the scheme of things in, in the professional sport. But um, when I debate this with your mother, uh, and I said, Dad, do you remember how sort of just rat shit I'd come home like after every game? And this is like... 28 to 30 games a year 
and you would come home with broken thumbs, broken fingers, torn hamstrings, broken arms, broken legs, broken jaws, broken cheekbones. Concussions. Concussions. Um, uh, And when you didn't have any of those, you came home pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Or a nice combination of the two. Or a nice combination of the two. Yeah, yeah. And and actually, just just as an aside, it makes, makes me think just why some of those players were actually mad when we went out on the piss. Because um, in those days, the doctor would come around after the game and, you know, you're cut and bloodied and all the rest of it, and he'd ask the question, as he had to do, how are you feeling, you all right? And everyone to a man, it was just, yeah, I'm fine. I'm yeah, fine. Yeah. Because if, if you said you were a crook or maybe I took a bit of a knock or maybe, you know, the knee's a bit sore, right, no drink for you. Mm. So you just go around, all these blokes are busted, and everyone's fine to go to the pub. 100%. <laughs> well, especially after a win. That's, you're not, you're yeah, not missing yeah, out on yeah. that. That's you can sneak away after a loss, but after a win, yeah. if you don't turn up, yeah, it's a yeah. bit of a... Oh, it's just the best beer ever. I but think. it was, you know, the, the the whole idea of sort of playing with guys um, about something you're really passionate about. And I think, you know, that's the overriding uh, theme. You know, that passion about doing something that you really want to do or something that you're really invested in. Uh, and I was incredibly invested in it. Um, I became more so as I got older and started to adopt sort of more leadership positions. So I sort of played through to about 35 and um, in the front row and, and I became – I actually started getting the shits hanging out with Johnsies and all of these because you'd sit down on the bus with them and you might want to talk about, oh, you, just, you, know, you hear there's this invasion or that, you know, the Gulf War or something and well, there was something big in politics and they wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> wouldn't have a clue, wouldn't care – all the rest of it, and um, uh, you know, they just want to know, you know, who's your tip in the third, <laughs> and 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 we we drive down to games, you know, listen to horse racing and whatnot. These blokes had sort of too much money, but um, but I was I was glad to get out of it ultimately, um, you know, in reasonable health, but many many injuries. Um, I, I've I've been fortunate enough after sort of doing a lot of research and trying to understand how to deal with. You know, diet and 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 spirituality, uh, and, and I find the spirituality allows me to calm calm myself down. And using a lot of Wim Hof tactics, I don't know if you know Wim Hof, the breathing, the guy, and and um, definitely, yeah. I, I've been doing those for three or four years now. The hypothesis about around it because I was looking into what caused all the pain in the body, uh, what causes heart attacks. You know, it's inflammation. What causes cancer? Inflammation. So it's the inflammatory diseases that we haven't really got to the heart of. Generally speaking, you know, infectious diseases we've we've done pretty well in, but but inflammation and so it's got a lot to do with your diet, a lot to do with your stress levels, which which have just been peaking over the last few decades. Um, uh, but it's also got a lot to do with how you breathe. And if 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 you if you're for example, travel down the freeway, you could go for twenty minutes and you're literally just you're the shallowest of breathings because you don't need a lot of oxygen to, to, to energise and the muscles and all the rest of it. But that builds up a sort of more acidic sort of um, state of your body through the, the different combinations of the carbon dioxide and the oxygen. If you, and um, so if you do that all the time and you're sitting and we're sitting here and let's say we just, you know, and we, do, we don't do one deep breath, nothing diaphragmatic right down into the guts, um, for two hours, you will become more acidic, and and acidic 
uh, sort of profile in your body is is an inflammatory profile, and so you will be more inflamed. Anyway, um, talking to, and so so that led me down this path of Wim Hof. Um, he's a Norwegian. Had these uh, really difficult times with his family. His wife committed suicide. Jumped off a, a building. He just couldn't get a, sort of a, get it out of his head. He just couldn't function for years. He had three young kids, and and someone said, "Mate, go and sit in the ice. You can't think about anything in the ice." And that, that was that was crucial to him because it was it was the ability to not think about anything. You know, if, and anybody listening to this, try and think about the last time you thought about nothing. And and, and, and and if you can do that, and it becomes a discipline because every time you think about nothing, something will come into your head. That's where people lose uh, interest in trying to pursue meditation because you're trying to clear your head of anything, but all you can think about is something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, so it's, it's a skill like anything. You, you just got to learn that, okay, something's intruding into my head. I, I just try and find whatever colour, particularly if I'm facing the sun in the morning, um, you know, it'll be sort of an orange bit, bit underneath my eyelids. And I'll just focus on that orange light and that will then take me away. And just clearing the mind for a small period of time. But that was that's more on the sort of the transcendental sort of level. Have you tried it in the ice? Hey? Have you tried the ice? I'd, I'd, during winter, I'd just sit in the pool for, you know, four or five minutes and it's freezing. And, yeah. And it just sparks your body. It just wakes you up. I, I haven't had a, a warm shower in... Maybe a year and a half. Yeah, I don't. I don't have hot showers anymore. I'm yeah. probably about the same. Maybe it's, a little bit longer. It's just cold, and and you stand there and you get the breathing going, and like because it braces you as soon, as soon as you get hit, um, and then you, you just find this sort of zone where you can calm down and bring your pulse rate down and all the rest of it. But that that was part of the tie that into the breathing, um, which actually dealt with the acidity versus alkalinity and. So it's understood that the alkalinity is a non-inflammatory state. So how do I get myself from a, an inflammatory state into a non-inflammatory state, an alkaline state? And, and um, this Wim Hof talks about this breathing. And so I just – I tried it for a while and the idea was because I've got all these injuries, my knees, I've blue knees, blue ankles, blue backs, blue shoulders, blue necks, you name it, thumbs. And after about three or four months of this breathing – practice where basically i deep breathe five or six minutes and then i just breathe out and you hold and i don't hold anything i just don't breathe in that's what i mean you hold without taking a breath i don't breathe in so but the four or five minutes really oxygenates me you, you, yeah. can, you start to get a bit high you start feeling your fingers tingling all your cells are oxygen oxygenated then you breathe out and i don't breathe in for you know, this morning i didn't breathe in for like six and a half minutes mm. Now that that ch- that changes changes your body chemistry, the, the ratios of carbon dioxide to oxygen, and the hypothesis was that it would turn me into a non-inflammatory state. Now the, the only way to, to prove that, you know, I don't know if there's a blood test for that or whatever, was to then, after I do my meditation in the morning out on the bluff, I then go for this sort of ten k walk, and I found one morning, all of a sudden, I've got no pain, everything had gone. I've got no pain now. I know one one interesting one was an injury you had to your neck, which led to a bit of tingling sensation in your radial fingers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah is no. that still all there? No, no, no the, the, the inflammation is sort of 
because that was just a sort of a, a pinch of the nerves yeah, well, that this, came this out of there. Yeah, this is what I'm thinking. Did, did that help that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I don't take, you know, proof and all these things that anti-inflammatories. What's proof? Proof, proof. Ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. Well, whatever. It's, it, <laughs> it used to be called proofen. Oh, anyway, say, you've nailed everything else in this podcast, but ibuprofen's escaped you. Yeah, no, this is that's an old version, but um, fair enough. So I don't take any of those, and I just found one day as, as I started my walk, I was thinking, shit, I don't have any pain at all, and then I and then I just kept going, and to this day, although I've got this little issue because I I sleep a certain way, and every morning I find this shoulders are dislocated, and so I go to blueies. Yeah, the other bluey, the other bluey, yeah, yeah, the original, yeah, yeah. the original, and the I best. Know, I know bluey, and, yeah. and 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 he'll just sort of go pop, and it's back in. Yeah, so pop a couple of your fingers as well, and oh, yeah, he's always popping. Is, fingers he, is he a reflexologist? Is that the that's the? I got no idea. That's he's, his area. He's everything. But th- th- the thing I found going through sports sports medicine was you literally got to shop around. Physios, mate, by and large, wouldn't give two bob for you know, cost you a fortune. They line you up with about 20 other people, put a heat little bottle on you, maybe a little red light, walk away, charges 60 bucks, nothing happens. So what I found was a combination of a bit of chiro, remedial massage was crucial. Uh, so the, the chiro sort of loosened a lot of the tension and, 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 and articulated the, the bones better. I think the good physios are... are Mainly, what they do is remedial massage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they they know where to get in. They know where the trigger spots are, and and this is what Bluey knows. Mm. Bluey knows all of this stuff. He's got all of this other sort of uh, knowledge, which is, and, and and that's probably one of the issues with, because medicine is a such a specialised. You know, you're a dentist. You're a physio. You're a you're a, a, yeah. a GP. You learn this stuff, and that stuff is the only stuff you're allowed to practice on. You might know a little bit, like you know, take for example cortisol. We talked cortisol. So if you go to a doctor and you got blood, you present with high blood pressure. The doctor will say, "I'll, I'll give you a tablet for that." Mm. That's that's what they do. That's that's their go. Um, and but you might say, "Well, what about, is, is there anything that's at the root of this high blood pressure?" Oh, I don't fucking know. Mm. I don't understand diet. We didn't get taught that. I'm not allowed to teach diet. We'll talk about diet. What about the physiology? What about the, the hormones and that sort of thing, the cortisol, the damage that that's doing through the stress of work and maybe uh, relationship dramas or things like this? Uh, doctors don't know that. They, they have this very defined space and they go, mate, if I can't give you a drug... Well, that's all they are. They're just the, the, next, the, the link in the chain to pharmacy. That, that they are, which is why you've got to go out. And, and, and I found... I'd be going to osteopaths and and then finally I'd find somebody who actually knew what the fuck they were talking about on this specific injury. Like people have said, oh, I've seen this before. Okay, yeah, but is it like this? Every every injury was different and I found shopping around was was crucial and, and, and not just relying on, you know, the club will um, just present you with your, your GPs and your physios. Uh, well, I'm going to herbalists. I'm going to reflexologists. I'm going to uh, remedial massages. I'm going to chiros. Actually, an interesting story about that. If if you understand a little bit about in the in the twenties and thirties, right um, in in the US and around the world, Howard Florey and Alexander Fleming were in the throes of uh, developing the 
probably one of the number one inventions of the millennium, which was um, uh, penicillin. Um, and that's when I'm talking about um, infectious diseases, that was the, the, the turning point. Well, around that time, the Rockefellers, who had basically monopolized, uh, monopolized the oil around the world, they were, they, they were in breach of antitrust. And I think in 1903 or four, they, were, they had to divide their company up into seven, seven companies because they were just monopolizing everything. And they turned into you know, Ampol and BP and the same mobs that are still going now. But um, that was sort of J.D. Rockefeller. The next uh, uh, Rockefeller Jr., he then comes along and he's thinking, where do I make my mark? And then he starts to um, – and now these guys are already putting big money into Harvard schools and various places and you know, um, uh, through f- philanthropic sort of – Ideas, but it gives them influence in, in these universities, be it at Cambridge or Harvard or Princeton and those sorts of schools, and they get the best and the brightest, and and they put them through. Um, and Howard Florey was actually he won a Rockefeller Prize just before he developed the the precursor to the to, to what was penicillin. So they all they all get involved, and, and Rockefeller then decides right the next big thing is pharmaceuticals so they then look around they start to change legislation so that that changes what people can do um, at various schools or whatnot they start to ban um, it's around the time they started banning uh, hemp Mm. whereas it was the number one thing in the world in terms of strength of fiber and all the rest of it clothes everything yet they knew the benefits of hemp back then um, and that that ran contrary to the synthetic approach of the new pharmaceutical companies. So Rockefeller basically bought huge positions in all the big big uh, pharmaceutical places. Of course, the, the Germans in Bayer and these sorts of guys were, were also very strong in that. He basically controlled it through the US and then made it illegal for herbalists and naturopaths. They couldn't, um, you know, this is the reason... You know, 100 years later, you, you go to a Cairo and you put your card down, health card, oh, no, we don't cover Cairo. Oh, why not? Because oh, that's sort of yeah. fringe because that was made illegal 100 years ago because it started to impact on the role that the new pharmaceuticals could play. And then coming in and, and then obviously it was great during World War Two and saved heaps of lives and it was just a huge industry beyond that. And, and since that time... All of these um, anthroposophic medicine and, and, and all of these alternative approaches, um, even even Chinese medicine, been around three or four thousand years, and you won't find anybody talking about it. Like, but it looks after you know half a or a billion Chinese every year, um, and it's only now that we're starting to see, say, with the hemp oil. You know, I, I know with mum and dad, and they they were on on that for a while. Um, rather than the painkillers. And now a lot of people are on a lot of drugs which are just completely toxic to them. Um, and, 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 but the drug companies are up front. Mm. They, they, if, you, if you're prepared to read their, their little inserts, they say, well, you know, you'll get this, you'll get that, you'll get the runs, you, you'll, you'll have dry skin. You'll, and then the, you know, a potential very, very minor group there could be X and Y. With hemp oil, you're, you're referring to CBD oil because they do sell hemp oil 
which doesn't have the cannabinoids in it. They've all been taken out and it's not um, – it doesn't have the same properties as yeah, um, yeah, yeah. CBD oil. So you can buy that at your pharmacy. You can buy that and it's not – I don't really know what the benefits are. CBD oil is the one that helps with inflammation, pain management, all that type of stuff. So there is a, there is yeah. a difference there just – Picking up on that in case someone was like, oh, maybe I should try hemp oil. CBD is what you want. So back to my point about like, I've got inflammation. Okay, take take some um, ibuprofen. Yeah, get it right. Sure. Um, <laughs> Bruf. But Bruf. Or, or or take um, uh, a painkiller. Yeah. Right. A, a stock standard painkiller. Codeine. Yeah. Codeine. Yeah. Now, now all all that does is just block the senses. It just blocks the pain, so it doesn't get to the core of the issue. Right, so as soon as that, that wanes in terms of its effectiveness and over time you then have to take more and more in order to get the same protective um, uh, effort, uh, th- they, they won't work over time. Um, so in order to get to the inf- in inflamed lower back, if it's a lower back, we need to get to the basis there. So maybe a little bit of a flush with a massage um, mixed with maybe a little bit of breathing to try and sort of uh, reduce that inflammation, change the, 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 the chemical balance of your body, um, and a little bit of CBD oil. Now, a, a lot of older men have, you know, dementia is just sort of taking off, sadly, um, and, and, and sort of cognitive issues. Taking painkilling tablets is just accelerating mm. their condition. Um, you know, I don't know whether that's all part of the business model. We'll just give them the drugs, sit them in the bed, and that way we don't have to do anything with them all day. They just that, make us money. That means we don't have to have as many nurses because we've drugged this person out and all the rest of it. And doctors will just give it. I know we have someone in our family at the moment that's just copping pain meds. Like, mm. it's crazy how easy they can get them. Like, just popping pills. Like, it's mad. Uh, I, I mean, I know personally I had this issue with my lower back. Uh, and I tried everything to fix it, physio, chiro, everything. And what ended up happening is my physio said, why don't you try strengthening your hip flexors? Work like that. Sweet. Just found something, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it, we have a whole generation of people, particularly older people, who are those ones who are going to fall into that, um, the, that cong- cognitive decline who will just listen to the doctor and just take the, the med that they give them. Mm. And they also talk about dementia, Alzheimer's being the third type of diabetes, diabetes type 3. And you look at their diets and it's all refined carbs, it's all sugar, it's all this type of shit. Uh, And that's what's really eating away at the brain slowly over time. Well, I I went to the the care care centre and and I asked them about the food, I asked mum about the food and and she said, oh, it's it's, it's basically carbohydrate-based. Yeah. There's a little bit of sort of quality protein but it's – it's lots of potato and lots of um, carbs and cereals and all these sorts of things. And I think a lot of this has, has been already uh, decided. I, I, I know one of the things I looked into was a, a study. It was called the Women's Health Study. I don't know if we've talked about this before. The women's, it was South African. It was $700 million. Women's Health Study, 50,000 people in the study. It was women. And one cohort had uh, were told to stay on the – High carbohydrate, low fat diet, the healthy diet, so called healthy diet, and the other one was just to you know go off and did, do what you want and, and eat as much fats and all the rest of it. Well, it turned out you know it, that there was a significant increase in the group 
in 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 follow-up heart attacks and in heart problems from the group who was who were eating the healthier diet and what what they the conclusion they came to and the, stand, put, the standard healthy diet the standard healthy diet that we learn at school and yep. we learn i've been learning in sport you know carbohydrates and yep. just little bits of fat little food pyramid yes the food pyramid and um and and what they were finding was that those carbohydrates because they get absorbed so very quickly into your body and they go straight into your bloodstream Every time they go into your bloodstream and you've got that sugar in your bloodstream and we think we need to carbo-load in order to have that energy and whatnot, which actually leaves the bloodstream within 10 minutes of energy mm. expenditure, we, we end up having a, uh, an issue with, um, or, or, or people who eat high carbohydrates end up getting over 20, 30 years insulin resistant. And before I had my heart attack, the... I was insulin resistant, the, the last set of bloods I got. And I've since done bloods and I've completely reversed that because I've gotten rid of um, certainly all processed carbohydrates. You know, if I, if I, have, if I cook an egg, uh, I, will, I will probably get a piece of toast. Otherwise, uh, you know, what are you going to clean it up with? Avocado. Yeah. Avocado. That's what I use because okay. I'm back on keto now. So it's all avocado and it, it mops up the egg. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now you know. But I, I, I was just on top of that. I was trying to then, then sort of work out where did, when did heart attacks start? You know, are, are they a thing that's been going forever and, you know, maybe misdiagnosed perhaps or whatever? And there was an uh, American president, I hope the listeners um, uh, forgive me for thinking, uh, forgetting. Who was, who was the president in 1921? Oh, God. Who president? Here we go. Look it up. Um, <laughs> he died. Pull it up, Gabe. Pull it up, Gabo. He died of a of a stroke. They thought it was a stroke. Warren Harding. Warren Is that Harding. One? Warren he Harding. died. He, he died of a stroke. Um, of a, uh, cerebral embolism it was the official cause of death. And this is a prime minister in in office. So it's a pretty big um, president in office. And he. Um, it wasn't until months later that they reviewed it and they said, "No, we think this was a heart attack." Mm. And, and the reason that was the case was because heart attacks were actually quite new. Coming out of World War One, a lot of the stress and all the rest of it, they, they started to see different examples of this, the heart just going. And, um, and this was around the time, the Roaring Twenties, and people were starting to, you know, there was much more sort of store-bought food and things like this. And, and um, so I thought, okay, that was a datum point for me. Maybe heart attacks started sort of to be a real thing around that time. So I then thought, my simple logic, what did they eat before there were heart attacks, before the diet of that period uh, and the diet that we're currently in? And, and um, what, what, I, what I found was that most people ate eggs and butter and lard and saturated meat fats and all the rest of it. Hardly ate any of this. You know, no one's sitting down at wheat bix mm. you know, in the morning. And also didn't need to eat as much. No, I eat once a day. Exactly. When you're on a high-fat diet, you're very satiated throughout the day. Like I, I ate something very small, like a little meat patty left over from dinner last night today, and that's it. I've been to the gym. I've been filming all day. How come we always podcast. got in the podcast like bang on six then? Well, that's what I was going to say. I'm actually getting really <laughs> hungry. <laughs> I'm keen for dinner. We always turn every – like literally, this is like a world record. Like oh, no, well, no, 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 yeah, no, I'm not saying it for If you're that. telling my dad to shut up, it's, mate, I'm, I'm not, fucking... I'm not saying it for that. I'm saying no, no, this no, is... No, let's finish it. Let's no, finish, finish it. off. Bluey's got to go home to food. No, 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 no. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been real. 
That's not it at all. No, I'm saying like normally he's he's bragging about how satiated he is. Louis got his how, how satiated I am. I'm never hungry, mate. Five to six doesn't matter who's on, doesn't matter how good the episode's going. He starts looking at his watch and cuts it at six o'clock every. This is a, this is unbelievable. Because I haven't eaten all day. Let's finish it. I didn't want to finish it. Oh, I'm just got, saying you've got your lookalikes, and now you want to finish it. Put it on me now. You're hungry, gentlemen. Bluey Nelson. <laughs> Don't fucking put, That's fucking dog shit. Jones, thank you for your time. We'll get you back. We'll get Great James back on and uh, we'll have another four hour episode. And we'll, uh, <laughs> this is, you understand what's happening, Gabe? You see this shit. Why did you do this? I, I was didn't enjoying, fucking do anything. You gave him the air. I was mate. enjoying listening to my my old man who, you know. Uh, this is fucking on, dog we've shit. Been, we've been wanting him on the <laughs> show for months. This is fucking dog shit. It's our first walkout. <laughs> it's our first walkout. Because you've offended him. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is fucking bullshit. Go and check out Jones. He's not on any social media, but. Although I'm just about to start a podcast. Well, how about the first thing you learned is to talk into the fucking microphone. <laughs> just about to start a podcast. What's All it right. called? Stay tuned. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. That's a good name. Um, <laughs> no, we'll we'll get him back on and please. All right. This is he's, fucking uh, He's out. No. He's, <laughs> he's fallen into the door. We gotta go. We gotta go. Make sure he's all right. This he's, is uh, fucking outrageous. Uh, I can't believe we're hopping too much and he's off his head. All right. We'll see you later. Toodaloo. Bye. 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 <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.